soothing voice akin to President Obama. Welcome, friends, to the 52nd episode of Reality Issues. This week, your hosts, Kathy and Brian, embark on a meaningful expedition, a journey that will be split in two by a phone call bearing significant news. We learn that our sisters of perpetual self-indulgence have been overlooked for the Just Awards, a regrettable decision made by those with a myopic view of fairness and achievement. To express your feelings on this matter, I urge you to reach out to the Commissioner of Baseball, Mr. Rob Manfred, at rob.manfred at mlb.com. It's a testament to the power of voice, your voice, in holding those in positions of influence accountable. Your words could go a long way in reminding him of his responsibilities and the impact his decisions can have on the wider community. With that crucial appeal made, let's pivot towards the first part of our journey. Today's episode, aptly titled Human Population, takes us on a voyage through time, tracing the historic growth and spread of North American populations. We will navigate a multitude of topics, always returning to the central theme of humanity's expansion and evolution. So buckle up, dear listeners. Join Kathy, Brian, and the omnipotent guidance of the Chaos Emeralds as we embark on another stimulating expedition in the world of reality issues. When I was 15, 16, when I really started to play guitar, I definitely wanted to become a musician. It was almost impossible because it was the dream was so big that I didn't see any chance because I was living in a little town, was studying, and when I finally broke away from school and became a musician, I thought, well, now I may have a little bit of a chance because all I really wanted to do is music and not only play music, but compose music. At that time in Germany, in 69, 70, they had already discotheques. So I would take my car, would go to a discotheque, sing maybe 30 minutes. I think I had about seven, eight songs. I would partially sleep in the car because I didn't want to drive home. And that helped me for about almost two years to survive in the beginning. I wanted to do an album with the sounds of the 50s, the sounds of the 60s, of the 70s, and then have a sound of the future. And I said, wait a second, I know the synthesizer. Why don't I use the synthesizer, which is the sound of the future? And I didn't have any idea what to do, but I knew I needed a click. So we put the click on the 24 track, which then was synced to the Moog modular. I knew that could be a sound of the future, but I didn't realize how much the impact would be. My name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me Giorgio. Thank you. 
once you free your mind about the concept of uh, harmony and of music being correct, you can do whatever you want. So nobody told me what to do, and there was no preconception of what to do. First of all, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Hello. I'm here. Are you here? 
I'm here. Okay. It's uh, it's 11:41 where I am. That means it's 10:41 where you are. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you and I have been chatting for a few minutes, you know, as we tend to do before we actually, you know, hit record. Sometimes we're ready to go right when we hit the ground, but like, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, we warm up and we chit chat, but it does feel like whenever we hit record, it's like I'm fully present, you know, if that, it's, isn't that strange? It's like stepping on the stage suddenly. It's like, oh, the curtain is pulling back. It is true. It's so true. And I think about that every once in a while when I'm listening to the podcast. I, li- I listen to your voice and my voice. And I know what we sound like when we're not recording. And I know what we sound like when we're recording. And it's a little it's a little bit different. And we say slightly different things. We're still the same person. But it is having, knowing that you, the person out there, is listening uh, makes everything different. It's kind of interesting. So... I said I, I said I knew how to that I knew how to start the cast and that was going to be with a commercial. But what you said actually reminded me of something else. Okay. So I'm going to wait for my commercial. Okay. But um, we have a lot to talk about today. Holy yeah. shit! So uh, uh, as a headline for our listeners, oh, uh, what number? What date are we? We are. You said five nineteen. That you said. Yes, it is April nineteenth, twenty twenty-three. May nineteenth. Oh. Thank you. Oh, I actually wrote it down too at the top of the paper just now, so that's how sure of the month <laughs> I feel like that I was. You circled the paper and like looked at <laughs> I'm it. I'm looking at it saying May 18th, right below where I wrote April 19th. Yeah. So. Anyway. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, that's where we are today. Okay. So. Um. Um. I was in the Bay Area. Yes. Last week for work. When I returned, I. It appears I had contracted the novel coronavirus. So I have been in isolation since I have returned. Um, my no apologies. So yeah, no longer so novel. But no longer a thing we have to worry about, apparently. Seems like, like every, literally every state has stopped recording numbers on it. <laughs> the federal government pretends it doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. Like, good luck trying to find tests and things like that unless you, like us, have had stockpiles of them because literally just sent away for every postal service giveaway that happened. And I just like, and then every time that I went to like some community health fair, I was like, fuck yeah, give me some. Load and me up. Load me up. I, uh, I am also grateful to work, uh, in a place that just mm. also just has a lot of them because we, one of our jobs actually was to help distribute them during the pandemic. So we were like, here, take them. Everyone have some. Like, anyway, so like all my friends have some too. Like everyone has them. I feel like everyone I know, I am grateful for that. Um, but, you know, we <laughs> we got in on the ground floor of that health craze. You uh, know? Yeah, when, uh, uh, <laughs> when you. Like, with, I feel like we like got into sprouts. <laughs> When, when like gets... microgreens before everyone else was into it. I'll have you That's next... how, like, serious. I'm putting in a pre-order for when I get sick of a few of them. Right, so you yeah. Can like... next day them to me. Yeah, right. No, it was like <laughs> signing up for, like, a pre-release on Bandcamp. It was like, oh, did you hear? The <laughs> DOH is going to be at the library. Let's fucking go. Do you have like... it pre-downloaded, the album? It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the new so... drop, the new viral drop. <laughs> yes. Exclusive on Record Store Day. You have I to go in person, <laughs> you though. You have to have a, an iTunes Plus account to apply. <laughs> so one of the reasons that I was in the Bay Area was for work. And yeah. uh, 
it um, because I have now recently taken on more of a communications and shall we say marketing role, although mm. I feel awkward saying those words because it gives it a dipshit sound, right? So I'm trying to come up with better titles. So like um, the I, I think the Reagan administration used to call it perception management. Mm, I've heard that. The Office of Perception Management. So mm. I've been saying that I am now a perception manager because i think that's funny anyway that's can you get into the story. specifics at all i'm asking you this truly without knowing the answer but can you get into the specifics at all of um no you can't never mind um, no i i probably could you? a little bit what would yeah. you rather um not be something that uh like what do you what are you trying mm. Mm. what no, every every movement has messaging and communication. Okay, That's it. Period. Okay. Yeah, like so I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel like there's um I I feel like I'm personally I'm using my powers for good. Like I sleep yes. like a baby at night, right? I'm like I'm very happy about that. Admittedly, like my bank account is not in the multi-millions of dollars mm. if it had been if like let's say I had used my powers for like Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like because like here's the other reality, like I, I feel personally and this isn't like an ego thing. I think I'm pretty fucking smart. Kathy, and when I look. Yes, you're <laughs> and when... I, I will say this. I am. I am not. I will never admit that anyone is smarter than me in the world except for Kathy. Kathy is the only person I have ever met who I think that if I even applied myself as much as I could have ever applied, Kathy would have exceeded me in every single way. I think that's true. But. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm just trying to be a good person. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it's true, all I'm to It's do. still true. Like, it's to the audience. It's still true. Okay. Continue, please. Nonetheless, right? Yes. Like, and so, so I think in my head, right? Like, and, and again, I'm trying to be as humble as I can. <laughs> yes. After I said that. I have, I have been the winner of the most humble award, like seven years running. Okay. Uh -huh. So I think I know what I'm doing here. Okay. Good. So your mom um, didn't tell you what your IQ was when you were a child then? Saved you from no, that? No, absolutely. Okay, no, in fact, quite the contrary. I have oh. had to overcome, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. Um, and, 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 of course, my therapist will tell you that the two are interconnected, right? It's because I've always had something to prove, right? Yeah. And But it's also because it's like, no, like, fuck you. You're not the boss of me. Like, oh, like, it was like it definitely had this a motivating effect to be called stupid or incapable it was like oh no now i'm about to not just like stick the landing i'm about to get like perfect tens across the board mm -hmm. and you're gonna fucking eat that and i get to walk away going like no like it's because i've been practicing that's why we're best friends because you gotta fucking practice right <laughs> like you gotta fucking think that that's the thing is you gotta fucking follow through right no like, i know i'm learning that from you <laughs> No, like no, but but see that's okay. It's 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 okay to it. Like okay, here's here's the thing. I I am not good at that mm -hmm. is physical mobility. Put okay. me on any kind of a mobility device: a skateboard, a bicycle, a scooter, um, roller skates, uh, even sometimes just awkwardly shaped shoes. Now okay, that you like, said it, though, roller skates me. is something I really like to see. I think we should go roller skating next time we see each other. I, I would dance like a sea star. Like, that's how I roller skate, right? I want right? disco so. tunes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so anyway. anyway. Anyway, totally different story. Yes. So I'm at, this, I'm at this conference, and we're learning messaging, marketing, mm. 
organizing strategy, calm strategy, a variety of neoliberal terms for even the work that I do, and that's fine. I'm yeah. okay with that. I've accepted it. They're just words. Um, I am in the Bay Area. Um, I do love this place. Anyway, we are getting um, some media training uh, from uh, one of our consultant partners, I guess, groups who are working together here. Uh, that was my alarm telling me that I should start recording our podcast. We've <laughs> anyway, done it. So we've done, we've it. done it. We did it. Check. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, this 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 person who is giving us our media training, you know, they I we had been introduced to them before prior, and they had some like press bona fides. They had oh. been on like broadcast media, right? Um, nothing like BBC, but more like. Um, like your anchor on your local newscast of like an actually large city right so like uh name a large city like like a fairly Houston. large city sure now imagine the anchor of that show and that was the lady who was giving us our press training right wow. so this is out of my wheelhouse right like i'm used to talking to like all weekly dipshits maybe the investigative journalists uh, part of it is because they're my friends. Some of them have been my friends in previous lives and iterations of my life. Um, and some of them is just because now of the roles I take, they know me as that person, right? So I, I don't feel uncomfortable. But seeing this woman at work was like, oh, no, this woman is at a completely different level, right? So we're just in a room full of organizations and we're all taking, you know, taking notes and like it's it's really good information, actually. And we're passing the mic around for Q&A, right? And I'm going to use this weed tube as my microphone yes. to demonstrate, okay? So she's holding the mic, and it's giving some, like, weird, like, tap-tap feedback. And suddenly, this woman does this most natural thing, and she does this. And she starts using the microphone. Yeah, like she's holding her vape pen. But she's holding the microphone. That means, right, that as she's talking, her fingers aren't knocking up against the mic, which are what's giving that weird little fucking feedback. Yeah. So instantly, she just spreads her hand open and is holding the mic like a delicate champagne flute and is like, coming to you live from Action 7 News. Wow. You know, like she doesn't say that, but she continues her. Because we were talking about, like, what do you do when scenario happens, right? We were, like, kind of, right. We are kind of, like, just chatting. We're asking questions. It's, it's, it's like a conference, right? So it's like a, it's like a professional thing, right? Like, someone's on Skype over here. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, like, whatever. Yeah. Everyone's doing their thing. But, like, seeing someone who, like, has that kind of training, right? Ah, uh, Yes. <laughs> it's kind of what I was getting at. So, like, that's also what I mean about us being pretend. Like when we hit record, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh look, and it's why all of those fucking influencers have that fake mic when they go around like interviewing people. I'm like, why are you doing? It's like, usually I don't not care. even the thing that's recording, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just it's just like a hairbrush. It's I want to go up there yeah. with like yeah, like, like I want to get like a bizarre one. thing. Like a, like a dildo. Hold. I'll have a dildo yeah. and be like, no, that's just the shape of the microphone. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's just putting just, a little bullet that, point. That's the name of my show, the dick mic. How would I'm they even pass know? pass you the dick mic. You yeah, can totally they lie about like, it. Yeah, and they like, have to take no, you seriously because you're like a twin. A variety of holes in the top. So then it looks like 
Yeah. Oh, you just take a dildo and then you put one of those little foam things on it. No, you it's know, even, the microphone you take foam one of those bullet thing. vibrators and you put it on the end with the wire and then they just think it's a microphone. <laughs> I don't know. It's so good. A giant Hitachi. <laughs> as, as awkward as with possible. With a big foam thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of heavy. An escalating um, series of shots every time it's more. microphone from the 70s, but I hacked it so that it's USB <laughs> and solar powered now. So it's oh. out. God, I, I hooked it up to a Raspberry Pi for some reason. So many missed opportunities with walking up to uh, tourists on the plaza and just asking them questions. The Bob Barker microphone. It's, it's available. It's available okay. to us. Okay, so here's my commercial. Uh-huh. So, Brian, have you seen Twin Peaks? I have seen the first three episodes of Twin Peaks about three times each. Okay. Because I keep burning out there, but I, I will. Okay, it's fine. I like I don't it. know I like where it happens. Yeah, I don't know where it happens. It happens, I think, kind of early on because we're getting to learn who is this. Maybe not yet, but we're getting to learn who is this person, Dale Cooper. Mm -hmm. One, Kyle McLaughlin, dreamy agent. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I have a very bizarre complex because all of oh. my first crushes were cops. It was like... Dale Cooper and Fox Mulder. I'm thinking I'm recently. This is. A, I'm just gonna say this too. I think I recently learned that I had a crush on Fox Mulder when I was a kid. So like, I don't know what else to tell you about that. <laughs> I mean, that dude jerked it to Bigfoot, right? So. And he was always on late night. <laughs> just by default. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> In Twin Peaks, uh, Dale Cooper. In character says mm -hmm. to someone i don't fucking remember who probably the other probably one of the other cops that's investigating this horrific crime and he says every day give yourself a little gift it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be like expensive but it has to be like a gift to yourself for like no reason and he goes on to say like you know it could be a cup of coffee it could be a cup of cherry pie so or whatever <laughs> Wait, so is that why he's like, hmm, that's why he emphasizes the damn good He always loves the thing? fucking coffee. That okay. It's like it's part okay. of his whole fucking thing is that it's part of this gift you give to yourself that, yeah, it, it could be whatever you want. But, like, you give yourself time to enjoy it, right? That's the point of cup of That's why the cup of coffee is a gift. It's because you're taking time to enjoy it. Leave me the fuck alone. It's not <laughs> time yet, right? So it's real Beautiful. don't talk to me before I've had my coffee hours. So he's real like that mom. Mm. Really kind of get down to it. Controversial take. <laughs> Good thing I'm currently suspended on Twitter and yeah. can't say such. God, I was silenced for truth. Dale, right? Dale Cooper is a coffee mom. That was your tweet. I'll put it out for you. Yeah, yeah. No, you should write it for me. It's like... <laughs> Since Kathy says that this from, isn't something awful, yeah, you can't get Kathy's lawyer for from that. the Vatican City is reporting. <laughs> it's like you're like so, tweeting like you're tweeting like fucking oh uh, yeah, Ecuadorian guy. <laughs> Ecuadorian, uh, excuse me. We all know what I'm talking about. It's okay, so expel. this is this is this is my coffee mom. Okay, yes, yes. so I am a bit of a coffee mom myself in the sense that like. I like to savor my coffee, so mm. like, it's either completely black, let the bean speak for itself, or it's a bunch of dumb shit in it that's just like for the sake of having all the dumb shit in it. Okay, so it's like literally either one or the other, and I'm 
Like, I hate when people are like, oh, you put all that dumb shit in it. I'm like, yeah, you should fucking try it, you yeah, fucking joyless piece of shit. I like so, it. Here's my most delightful recipe. Okay. okay, so you may be familiar with these variety Ooh, of syrups. I've seen those in stores before. Okay, so these syrups, of course, come in the traditional chocolate, caramel type of whatever. I just ran out of it, but lavender. Get some lavender syrup. Ooh. And when you add some of that shit into your coffee, see, yeah. that's how they make these fucking lavender lattes at these fancy coffee shops, oh, right? Oh. But the reason that you add the lavender is because it gives it like a nutty flavor. It doesn't give it a floral one. It gives it a nutty one. The way it kind hmm. of interacts with the coffee is very different. Huh. Not true with like, let's say, a rose syrup in which you actually maintain the floral taste of it. Like, that at least if be... you're using these, these syrups, right? <clears throat> I'm not talking about if, like, you're, like, I'm making, like, my own, like, lavender extract because we charge $12 for it. Right? That's a totally different story. I don't know who those fucking people are. Right? They, the... They're not real as far. Those people think that they're getting that. What they're getting is lavender syrup. Let's it's... be real. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, I personally don't like to um, sweeten it. And, unfortunately, a lot of these syrups are extra. Like, they have their syrups, right? So they're sugar-based. Um, but you can control the amount anyway. So here's Brian. You live in a warm climate. Yes. Where you need a refreshing beverage all the time. I do. So all I, day. I have a tip. I have a tip for you. You see, these syrups are not just for warm beverages, my friend. I'm uh, gonna see oh. this rose syrup. Uh -huh. This is what you want to go get for yourself, my friend. This okay. is the gift you're gonna get for yourself. Uh -huh. Writing stone. You're gonna get a bottle of that. And you're going to pour some into a glass, uh -huh. and then you're going to squeeze a wedge of lime as much as you're comfortable with. Lime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, the rose and the lime do oh. something magical. I don't know what the fuck it is. Okay. But, and then get your either unflavored or lightly flavored fake seltzer of choice, whatever that might be. Uh, I personally go for... Uh, my preference is the whatever the fuck is on sale at the store right now mm. so sometimes that's the LaCroix sometimes that's the Topo Chico and sometimes it's the like random store brands that aren't like real names right it's like bubblers and spritzers and <laughs> doctor spritz and diet spritz or they give them all kinds of fucking names I don't know pick one Doctor. the Mrs. point spritz. is that it has to be carbonated bubbly non-alcohol non-alcoholic if you like but you know i'm not here to tell you what to hey, do yeah We're i personally think yeah i'm not i'm not your dad <laughs> <laughs> so you take this beautiful rose syrup and lime concoction and you pour your delightful uh sparkling beverage into it and here's the thing because you get to put in however much fucking liquid you want mm. you get to decide how sweet it is so for folks who are like uh sober i have a lot of friends because i've been thinking about this for a variety of gatherings we have to throw at work mm. we're like oh god like we don't want to just like have like just water summer's coming up like what's like an easy thing and i was like oh easy like we'll just get some like orange syrups or like fruit syrups and we'll make some like sparkly punch and like everyone will think it's like so cute i'm like it's literally the cost of a sparkly beverage carbonated orange, water orange syrup 
I'm looking into that too. I'm gonna get. A, I'm getting some flavored syrups. Yeah. So I have a prickly pear one, which I do put in my margaritas, which are of course alcoholic. Yes. Up your fucking game, people. Sounds is what I'm saying. Good. Get your fucking shit together and give other, yourself like, some gifts. What are some of the other like unexpected ones you've seen? If you've found prickly pear, that's very specific. Yeah. Have um, you seen like any other cool ones? I mean, I've seen like I mean, there's like seasonal ones, mm. right? So they'll they'll always have the like pumpkin spice one oh. and the variety of like apple cider shit. I once saw one that was like an egg shit, and I was like, "Is that for egg creams?" Didn't investigate oh, further. Hmm. But you can find so you can find these syrups, of course, in your local grocer. But your local grocer tend to have a smaller selection, like maybe only five to ten different flavors. Vanilla usually being one of them, right? Which is yeah, fine if you uh, want to also make a vanilla Coke. Oh, see, I'm writing this down again. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> see, these are the gifts you give to yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've been doing. Uh, I've been doing everyone at home. I've not just been writing this down. I've been doing pencil foley. Everyone at home can hear this. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. It's really nice. I like it. I really like it. It's a very dynamic life. show, folks. I'm in, literally improving sound effects. Slice of life. Slice of life. Slice. I'm, I'm oh, improvisationally dear, dear following Lord. my own life path. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no shit, man. I'm telling you. This is how you up. This this is life changing, Brian. Cheers Thank to your. You is that a I, Coke Zero? It is a, a black coffee on ice that I hastily <gasps> hey, poured. Oh, look at who came to visit. <laughs> it's funny because he's at eye level. <laughs> Yes. I thought nice. he like pulled up a chair or something. <laughs> he's, he's on the Just couch. like slides in frame. Hi. He's like, hey, what's up? What's going on in there? Hello. Yeah, look at that. What's that? He can't hear it because oh. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, went for walkies, so he's good. Oh, he yeah. ate all his food, so he's good. So I think now he's just like. Yeah, attention. my dog's asleep in my bed. That's where she likes <laughs> yeah, to sleep that's what now. this guy's usually doing. Oh, <laughs> look, it's giving you pause. This is mm -hmm. great. For everyone at home who uh, can appreciate <sighs> this as an audio medium, just imagine the dog. <laughs> imagine a dog. I rotate it in your head. <laughs> you may have even imagined Toto from The Wizard of Oz. That's true. And if you did, please uh, write in an email and <laughs> let us know. Even though we did not say what kind of dog it was. For you lynch heads, sorry. No, see, you may not get that. That's another lynch reference. Oh, that no, one... I've, I haven't seen any of the that real one's from Wild. That one's from Wild at Heart. I have seen Blue Velvet. I watched that last year. I may have even mentioned mm -hmm. that maybe on the, this podcast mm -hmm. at some point. Um, um, we went to um, Dennis Leary's grave up in Taos. Really? I didn't know mm -hmm. that. Dennis, yeah, Dennis Leary, Dennis Hopper. Sorry. I'm always getting I was just going to say, like, I didn't know my, my favorite weird actor <laughs> Demolition Man was dead, but um, Dennis Hopper, really. Yeah, Dennis Hopper is buried up in Taos. If you search my name and Taos, probably... Easy Rider, maybe? I'm. You might see the photo. I do it myself, but I spend it on Twitter, and every time I try to do something, it reminds me of it. 
Um, let me see real quick. Which is fine. This is fine. I'm not mad. Oh, oh, oh. I called him a stupid bitch. I regret nothing. I'm now sharing my desktop, so let me go over here. <laughs> Christ. Okay. So, um, nope. How do I, let me just open a new tab. What, what is this? I don't want desktop notifications for Twitter. I don't even want notifications. Okay, here. No one ever wants. I don't. I oh, turn God. off every notification. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming. Um, hmm. <laughs> um. There we go. That's you. Last time I checked. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I was got lost in, in my brain for a second there. Everyone at home and let's see. Oh no, you're not gonna find it that way. I didn't oh. go there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I knew where you were yesterday, and it was not there. Um, let's see. What was? What... I have this. Oh, uh, Taos. Taos. And then probably yeah, just the name. Well, I did get an answer. Hmm. Try grave. <laughs> this is great. I'm not editing this out for anyone at home. You have to. You're enjoying this with us. Oh, there it is. Oh. Right there. Whoa. Whoa. What do I not know about Dennis Hopper that this is what his grave is? So I think towards the end of his life, he retired there to the to Taos. You know, this little ranch out there. I'm gonna make this the when I say art. a little ranch, like, I mean, like, he had like a Dennis Hopper ranch, but it was still like in among his neighbors. And apparently he was like just a well-known guy. He was just like, yeah, I'm going down to the hardware store and I'm going to go down to the bar and everyone in town really liked him. Um, so he's buried there hmm. in the cemetery. Um, and then as a result, a bunch of people come from all over who have been living the easy rider lifestyle and they leave their bandanas or a rosary or this case you can even see mardi gras beads right like uh yeah. probably party party bike guys you know guys on harleys i remember thinking that movie was vests. fucking like an incredible creation and like really fascinating and i saw it in my like days when i watched like all the 14 million dvds that were on netflix that you could just rent and basically end up watching them all and i've totally forgotten the film i actually remember hell's angels more which is like a less way less significant film but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i yeah i love him um one of his latest roles that i really liked was george romero's final film which was land of the dead hmm. um it was a zombie film obviously but uh it was he was really great as like a, a cursed billionaire you know like a billionaire who was about to get completely fucked from the beginning you knew that he was like well that's redundant <laughs> it's great it's great but you repeat yourself well, yeah yeah right <laughs> it is good stuff he like literally lived the top of like an ivory tower and it was great um 
Well, yeah, crazy shit. Yeah. That's really <sighs> cool. That will be the album art for everyone. You'll have already seen it. And if maybe you imagined it in your head, it looks exactly like that. <laughs> this was a link that we were given here. Um, Ooh. By another member of the podcast who's not here with us right now. Now that oh, she's no. passed away. She's just not currently in the Zoom room. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read. They're, they're out having a job, I believe, today. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fairly reasonable uh, thing to do on a Friday. Um, yeah. <laughs> no i mean we should all be so blessed right like jesus uh <laughs> honestly exactly i know i hey i that'd be fun um michelle i'm hoping that they're nice to you today <laughs> yeah i hope so uh, and this is what i will be reading right now at dawn in mid-november 1915 an usuri brown bear appeared at ikeda family's house in senkubetsu Kusin Sawa, about 11 kilometers inland from the west coast of Hokkaido. The family horse was loudly spooked by the surprise encounter. The bear fled after taking only harvested corn. At the same time, Senkubetsu was newly settled, so encroachment by wild animals was common. On November 20th, 1915, the bear reappeared. Worrying about the safety of the horse, the head of the Akeda family called on his second son, Kamataro, and two Matagi from his own village in a neighboring village. When the bear reappeared on November 30th, they shot at it, but failed to kill it. The next morning, they followed the bear's footprints, which led towards Mount Onishika along the trail. The hunting party discovered bloodstains, but a snowstorm forced them to turn back. They believed that that bear, now injured, would fear humans and no longer could raid settlements. Citation needed. Huh. <laughs> I love Wikipedia. I do, too. <laughs> It's literally like, I'm like a legendary I'm like a bear. Citation needed for something that people commonly believe, right? Like maybe erroneously, but people believe like, hey, I I think like we taught that bear a lesson. It's not going to come back. I, I think that's a reason. Like I know it says citation needed Wikipedia, but I feel like. I don't know. They could have just rewritten that sentence and been like. The family believed that the bear would not come back, so they settled. I guess maybe we would need to know how they even knew that, right? Like, were they interviewed? Um, uh, Wikipedia has no answers for us. I know that. What was the family's motivation? Were they... To be may without maybe... bear. Right, yeah, exactly. Like, with that, we know, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have attacked it. So we know that, but I guess it's a bridge too far to think that they had been victorious when it slunk away. Because that's what I would think. Like, oh, that's how you win a fight. So I would be like, okay, Wikipedia, let's rewrite this sentence. <laughs> Just, let's go back to the tab. Yes, here, okay. Given uh, the context. This is the new segment of the show where, <laughs> yeah, where we literally like just correct Wikipedia. The, the Wikipedia. <clears throat> the Wikipedent. I'm going to click That's here. That's going to be. Editing. I wonder if it says that account they've taken yet. <laughs> My IP address will be publicly visible. That's fine. Okay. When the bear <laughs> reappeared on November 30th, they shot it but failed to kill it. The next morning, they followed the bear's footprints with ledge towards. Okay. Along the trail, the hunting party discovered bloodstains, but a snowstorm forced them to turn back. They believed that the bear now injured... Given, they believed. So I'm going to say 
given that evidence. Here, I'm going to give you remote control. Here they concluded. Oh, okay. They so can take control. I think you just have to request it. It'll accept. Not yet. Here. I've given you mouse control. Oh, oh, yes, yes. There you go. Click to start. There you go. Okay. I'll let you Wikipedia. <laughs> Kathy is now editing Wikipedia <laughs> under my IP address. <laughs> this is great. This is a multiplayer experience. Hmm. Mm. So I want to say we don't they they discovered the blood stains. Mm. The blood stains led the I'm going to use their own fucking words, too. The bloodstains led the party to conclude that the bear, now injured, would fear humans and would no longer raid settlements. By the way, See, this so there's... hold on, let's look at that. The citation needed has been here since February 2008. Right, okay, I'm just saying, right? So, like, yeah. Um, I think it's let I think here it's this fear humans that the bear now injured would no longer raid settlements yeah right because then it's like okay yeah, that's what they were trying to achieve. Right. This isn't any... I mean, I don't know where they're getting all that with fear human shit, right? Like, I don't think that's what's even coming to bear here. If they're like trying a... to be, <laughs> you... like, you yeah. know, until we have, like, a first-hand account from the family saying, like, I wanted to make that bear afraid of us, I think that's one thing. But I think... Under normal circumstances, we I, I wouldn't want the bear afraid of me necessarily. I just don't want it to come back. I don't like even yeah. a mutual respect is okay. Yeah, like a like, like a supine date. Uh, just like detente. leave my shit alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be like you don't need to think I'm hot shit or nothing. It's dude. the name of the like, episode now. Uh, supine detente. A bear, yeah. <laughs> Ursine. <laughs> yeah, Ursine. Excuse me. <laughs> I don't mean that you're uh, laying on your back. <laughs> That's the supine pose, I believe. <laughs> no longer read settlements. <laughs> and I think that would give the reader to conclude that they would let their guard down and would go back to life as normal, and thus, we can now get rid of the need of a citation. That's just like, I don't need a citation for that. So, I'm going to go ahead and publish those changes. There we go. And my IP address is now known to the world. Everyone wants to know my IP address. <laughs> like, what's the Free worst thing that's going to happen? Are they going to ban you for No, I'm not allowed to learn anymore, Kathy. They've taken away my way, my method to learn about <laughs> the world. They'll ban me from newspapers. I won't be able to read anymore. They'll send someone to, I don't know. 
<laughs> How about this one? Here's another animal story that we were gifted uh, from Michelle. Okay, okay but if, if Citation needed pops up, you know what I'm <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting, we're getting, our, okay, so this is actually a, a kind of a philosophy of the podcast. We're going through the world, and we're not just answer. We're not actually answering the questions. We're removing the need for the citation to be there in the first place. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's this podcast. No, I mean there there are cite citations to these things, right? Yes. But it's like I can see why they're like, well, how do you know that? And it's like, well, you don't know that, but how how can we rewrite it so that you don't uh, you don't need a citation for everything either? Like, no. the sun rose in the <laughs> east, right? That's where it rises. Yeah. Like, what's the citation uh, yeah. for that? How do you cite that? Um, the birds actually, say. Let's find out. Let's see. <laughs> the sun wikipedia okay here we go <laughs> like does it actually state in here anywhere that it's always going to rise i mean not mathematically speaking but it does it say like culturally speaking the earth is referred to as rising in the east however technically it's 25 okay, okay, degrees okay. off of axis okay, i got this i got this you're a science we have to go you're a teacher we have to go to like ask reddit or something oh, hold on. and yeah, i'm yeah. gonna say uh, um um i'm tr my um literal we'll do a literal asking for a friend right like i have a friend who is denying that the sun rises in the west how did you prove that <laughs> like <laughs> i'm logging in the Quora right now we will ask a question this week and we'll have an answer for it next week <laughs> um here i enjoy design fashion style writing mathematics and economics now i can use the website okay <laughs> This is great. Do you remember when the internet used to be fun, Brian? Um, I like. I'd like to believe. <laughs> I'd like to believe we bring some of that back. Um, I'm gonna ask a question. It's gonna. Oh, actually, you have remote control too. If you'd like to type mm, it for us. Mm. <laughs> what do you think they're gonna say? Oh my god. Die. <laughs> right, it does uh, rises in the east, right, and then sets in the west. Yes. For the viewer at home, I'm literally like covering the face <laughs> of a newspaper because I'm just anticipating what's going to happen in a week when we look at this. <laughs> it's so. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. <laughs> the sun rises in the east. It's a fact. Okay. But the sun neither rises nor this sets. Is, how can then this how can this be a fact? <laughs> Fifteen answers. Okay. <laughs> what is the reason the sun rises in the east and the sun sets in the west? One answer. How can I below <laughs> below that? How can I stop the sun from rising in the east? Three answers. <laughs> <laughs> I hope those answers are like step Creative. one. <laughs> Destroy science. <laughs> Does the sun rise in the east and set in the east? No. Does the sun really rise in the east? No answers yet. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to add my question. Please. <laughs> yeah, that's the only correct <laughs> yeah. They want us to capitalize the I. That's otherwise fine. Sweet. Oh, I love this. Okay. 
Yes. No, I want like a guy like that to answer. Okay. Obviously. I, like I'm not trying. Like I'm not trying to be like. Oh, so I can send it to them. Oh, we can send it to Paul Nance. Yes. Send it to Paul. Yes, Nance. I wanna. I wanna. I wanna send these to like actual. Thomas William Hamilton. Yes, you're also getting it. Chris and Chris Harrington. Sure, you'll also get it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Richard, we don't you trust, know what? Okay. We don't trust the man <laughs> named Richard J. Lawrence. He looks too much like Leonard J. Krabs. Would I trust Boutros Gladius? You know what? He has <laughs> twice as many answers as Richard J. Lawrence. And yeah. This is my new favorite fucking thing on the planet. Holy shit. Do we wonder, or do we not trust I wonder them? which of these are AI, dude. Oh my god. So you could just build up like automatic Quora credits. Oh, yeah. Oh my god. Chris Phillips. Oh, you look like a... Uh, Gene, Gene Ewald. Ewald. Ooh, he's a former oh, something. Yeah. Former track and field official. Yes. Oh, but he also has an MS in physics. Wow. From 1971, so he knows up on the latest. Um, oh, this debunking. is a debunking. No, like, like what? Maybe they get oh, this from yes. flat earthers, right? Like, go. or like, how would I like? But I'm like, how would I prove it? Is kind of question here. You know, like I accept it as a fact. Right, so yes. it, a fact is, I, as I guess, in that sense, a fact doesn't need to be proven. But I, I sure hope my full name is being sent out with these requests. <laughs> it's not. It's okay. Reti uh, N R B Nerf, retired physicist and amateur Apple developer. Amateur. No thanks. Oh yeah. Oh, Tim Zukas has fifteen hundred answers in astronomy. <clears throat> I'm gonna guess we haven't sent this to them. Yeah. Well, or or rather, these people, right? Because they 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 pulled up a yeah. Okay, I'm gonna try this guy. Christopher Phillips. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, let's send it to the person named Shadow Walker. There's all these like <laughs> names and people with like MSs and stuff in front of their names, but John Bingaman isn't that a former oh. senator? Right? I think he was one of our senators. Okay, I'm gonna. I guess some people are experts not in astronomy, but, but in the, the sun. Lyle McElhaney has 827 answers in the sun. It would be really <laughs> funny if this is like he's an expert in the sun newspaper. <laughs> oh. Wait, can we ask questions about like publications? Like, <laughs> oh, that would be. Very. Oh look, yeah. Mm -hmm. He lives in Littleton, Colorado. That's not weird. No. <laughs> can, can we can we ask someone? Can we ask someone who's like an expert in like Time Magazine something? About astronomer like magazine? at astronomer at outer space. Well. Wait, that's a. I bold would hope claim. that's. I mean, I, but you're here though, it's real right? Like, dangerous. I, I mean, I'm 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 on Earth and in space. That's true. We are all. Okay, I'm gonna just go with those people. Yeah. This is good. Oh, we're gonna get some good answers. Okay. Couple we'll see what happens. Okay, masters. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Uh, well, they allege they do. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that tab open. That's great. How does Quora verify that their people are experts? Um, 
Uh, I'm gonna say that there's this little check mark next to their name, or we just have to <gasps> trust them. Oh. This is a published writer at Huffington Post, Forbes, and Apple News, and more. He's a okay. Stanford okay. PhD graduate from 1989. Well, this is he's talking about. What is the? Tr oh, should we read this, Kathy? No, I don't. No, I don't think we should either. He's gonna upset I, me. Yeah. He's, he I he had might. A good feeling. Anyway, we'll, unless we'll... he says something cool, which is economic. Like, so the question was, what's the harsh truth about economics? And I think the harsh truth about economics is that it's all fake. <laughs> Just like physics, actually, it's all fake. Um, and I know people don't want to hear that, but I'm now it's distracted true. by this harsh truth that's on our. Um, How do you wear a mini skirt without looking trashy? Well, girl, you're going to have a real hard time with that because the problem ain't the skirt. <laughs> and I'm just going to close that tab. I agree with Polly Peeps, she says. So I'm going to go back and close. We read about the sun already, and we read about the internet, and we read about... <gasps> oh, we didn't read about... Okay, we didn't read about... Project. Oh, no, right, no. Uh, we didn't read about St. Gunnifert. Yes, St. Gunnifert. Okay. So, Kathy, would you like to read some of St. Gunnifert? You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're a good reader. St. <laughs> Gunnifert. I mean, we're all good readers. Have you ever seen that Wonder Show skit where he holds up his arm and he has a tattoo that says reader on it? No. We'll pull it up here in a second. Yes. St. Gunnifert was a legendary 13th century French greyhound that received local veneration as a folk saint. Just as I read that sentence, Brian, I looked over at that beloved pooch who is keeping me company as I come out of quarantine. And you know what he's doing? He laid his head right on my shoe. Oh. Like over in the corner though like my shoes are off like by the closet and he's using one of my shoes as a pillow oh it's really funny because it basically looks like he's like got his like nose in it which is <laughs> fucking like, weird got a new piece of face gear anyway i shall be venerating him as a folk thing okay gunnerford's story is a variation on the well-traveled faithful hound motif Similar to the Welsh story of the dog, Gellert, or the Indian story of the Brahmin and the mongoose. In one of the earliest versions of the story, described by Dominican friar Stephen of Bourbon in the year 1250, Gunnifert the Greyhound belonged to a knight who lived in a castle near Lyon. One day, the knight went hunting, leaving his infant son in the care of Gunnifert. <laughs> when he returned, <laughs> he found the nursery in chaos. That's right, folks. Gunnifert <laughs> ate the baby. No. <laughs> so far, the story's going as expected. Yeah, no. When he returned, <laughs> the cradle overturned, the child nowhere to be seen, and Gunnifert greeted his master with bloody jaws. Believing oh. Gunnifert to have devoured his son, the knight oh. slew the dog. <gasps> he then heard a child cry. He turned over the cradle and found his son lying there, safe and sound, oh. along with the butt body of a viper, bloody from dog bites. Gunnifert had killed the snake and saved the child. On realizing the mistake, the family dropped the dog down a well. 
covered it with stones, and planted trees around it, setting up a shrine for Gunniford. Upon learning of the dog's martyrdom, locals venerated the dog as a saint and visited his shrine of trees when they were in need, especially mothers with sick children. Wow. The local peasants, hearing of the dog's noble deed and innocent death, began to visit the place and honor the dog as a martyr and quest for their help for their sicknesses and other needs. Written by Stephen of Bourbon, who died in 1262 in his book, De Superstitione, St. Gunnifert. It rhymes with right the roni or back the <laughs> De Superstitione. Yeah, I know. That's hilarious. I man. had a can of that last night for dinner. Well, that's what fucking Latin is, right? That's, that's like what it is. It's like the language of the church. That's Rome. So it's really Roman, right? It's like Latin is really yes, Roman. It's the pasta languages, so the yes. So, yeah. All the countries with Parmesan cheese. That's why they're the Romance languages. Yeah, fucking whatever, yeah. The hard cheese countries. Yeah. All those fucking... Yeah, they're weird. So you have to say it. like like uh, That's like a, a little tip, by the way. So, By the way, when I was learning French at school, mm-hmm. my teachers would always tell me that I pronounced it like Spanish. I'm like, yeah, what's the fucking difference? You understood me, right? Because they're the same fucking language. Leave me alone. I, um, I had a blast learning French. I didn't learn too much. But uh, it taught me way more about just language in general words english than about french yeah that's how they get you taught me about reading yeah they were like oh you like reading kid here let me teach you how to read in another language it's like no (laughs) oh yeah no it was awful okay uh let me see where we go okay the custom was regarded as harmful and superstitious by the church Dude, don't they know that all dogs go to heaven? Yeah, they hadn't Isn't seen that, that movie that in yet. the catechism? Yeah, like, <laughs> which made efforts to eradicate it. As Protestant churches emerged in the 16th century, they criticized the cult of Gunnifert, seeing in it an example of the abuses and errors of the Catholic Church. Wow. Wow. That's Protestants don't like dogs. <laughs> wow. Okay. The Catholic hierarchy adopted the critique, uh uh-oh, and sought to suppress Gunnifert belief and practices and ostracize the practitioners. A a fine for the practice was implemented. Despite this early attempt to ridicule and dismiss the cult of St. Gunnifert, the local tradition continued. The cult of this dog saint persisted for several centuries, despite the repeated prohibitions of the Catholic Church. Well community memory of the practices was still present in the 1970s with the last known visit by someone to St. Gunnifert Wood to effect a cure for a sick child occurring in the 40s in popular culture in 1987 French film Le Moine et le Sorcier known in the US as the Sorceress <laughs> is a fictionalized story based on Stephen of Bourbon's original text regarding St. Gunnifert and the local people Thomas of Hookton, the main character in Bernard Cornwall's The Grail Quest trilogy, is a mock believer in St. Gunnifert. I guess those are fictions, right? Those are, these are, these oh. are all fake. <laughs> yeah. 
This isn't like a real guy. <laughs> I've been stifling laughter like... for like 30 seconds. And I can't stop anymore. Um, so like... He was wearing a paw <laughs> on a piece of leather around his neck. I gotta be honest. Like, I feel like wearing a piece of dog would not like be cool with no. Saint Dog. I feel like if I were the dog, Saint, I'd be like, Yo, that's fucked up. Yeah, if I was like the what? elephant god <coughs> and you were like wearing tusks, I'd be the like, this is fucked, dude. <laughs> Like, not a different animal? Like, yeah, yeah, cat skull? Cat, yeah, no, really? Okay. Alright. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, wow. I love, uh, I love tales. <laughs> I just love tales. Stories and tales. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, my God. Can I tell you about then? Can I tell you about the tale I've been reading? Yes. Please. So, as you know, I'm obsessed with New Mexico history. I think I may have mentioned this book to you. Mm. It is called The Adventures in the Unknown Interior of America. So, okay. I'm going to show you something. Oh, I mean, here's. Oh, yeah. Oh, let me see somewhere. Exit. <gasps> Here, I can hit stop. I'm yeah. right. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Actually, I have to find it. I don't know where it's at. Oh, okay, <coughs> oh man well i hope the normalizer and the compressor breaks that cough because i tried to stifle all of them but I didn't get that one it's okay it's slice of life <laughs> slice of life. that's it is true i too will take us to wikipedia i like it oh this is fun okay sweet okay let so. me just minimize this so i can see okay uh The, Narva the Narvaez Expedition, and I don't know how to pronounce that name in actuality, but whatever, was a Spanish journey of exploration and colonization started in 1527 that intended to establish colonial settlements and garrisons in Florida. Oh. What? Okay. Narvaez's crew initially numbered about 600. So look, check out what this, Whoa, what this, what, what happens. Yeah, squinting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah. Can I full screen it? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so. Um, by this time, a variety of, um, let me see. Uh, in order, because I started writing them down. In order, okay. Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> Holy shit. I'm going to so learn something. In... Yeah, you're going to learn stuff. <laughs> it is awesome. Oh, well, then here, let me start at the beginning. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. oh, my God. So everyone <clears throat> knows that I've been taking all of these notes about New Mexico history because I'm a nerd. So I have to share this with you. Okay, so I am obsessed, Brian, like obsessed. Like, this is what happens when I like, I'm like, I want to learn something. Oh, um, So... The first thing that ever stuck out to me is that I have heard 
because we live here in New Mexico, right? Like we have a lot of indigenous folks around us like day in and day out. And if you're not a fuck up, you know some of them, right? So like one of the things I've always been fascinated by is that our indigenous neighbors will describe things as, no, that's the way things have been since time immemorial. Like just like this statement, right? And so like it's also part of this like desire to break out of like these Western constructs of time, right? That that like and all of these different groups of course have different reasons for it. This is how I've kind of tried to like kind of intellectualize it, right? And it's because it's like we don't fucking keep records. We have these oral histories, perhaps in like especially in like the northern Americas, right? That wasn't necessarily true in Mesoamerica, like southern Mexico. But very different sitch, right? Like, kind of all around. So even that was still a lot of storytelling. It wasn't record-keeping. Record-keeping was, like, accounting. But, like, anyway, totally different, right? So I've been fascinated with this as a concept, I think, since I moved here. So I've always... But I've still also, like, been that person who's like, but I still want to understand, like, the timeline of human existence. And one of the first things that I ever saw, Brian, that really, 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 really fucking bothered me now, I know it was written by Oxford University, but you see this book? It's called The History of the World. Do you see how fucking thick that fucking thing is, yeah. Brian? Okay, so <coughs> I bought this, I think, at some point I got same thing. I was like, I want to know the history of the world. I don't actually know what the history of the fucking world is. I don't know, like, the first civilizations really started. I could maybe say the words Mesopotamia or Babylon, but I don't know really what that means, right? I don't, I have whole gaps in my knowledge of like European history. I, I like, I know like the sword in the stone. That's not real, right? That's fake. <laughs> Maybe it's real to them. I don't know, but I don't know. So we're very stupid in the United States. So I started reading this and this is what I found. So I started reading it and eventually I get to the part where they get to North America. And they give Egypt, like, I don't know how, how much, probably because they looted it all. But when they get to the Americas, they give the Olmec civilization, which at this point I understand is, like, one of the, like, largest and the biggest in, like, Mesoamerica. Like, the first one to have, like, really huge mo stone monoliths. They had those giant heads. Um, they're, like, the first real civilization. They give them... Uh, Two pages. <clears throat> I have two actually pages. myself listened to a two and a half, no, three and a half hour podcast on them. Like, that's crazy that there's so little. There's, and from what I even remember, the, what I learned was actually a history of the history of all that stuff. It was about the people who were learning all those things over time, and they knew a lot of stuff a long time ago. It wasn't just like since they made that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and in those two pages of the Olmecs, they also give domestication of corn and all of the like, most staple foods of the Americas. They give it, like, three senses. Okay, anyway, so then when we get to Mayan civilization, oh, no. they do admit it was destroyed in about the 7th century. They do say the word destroyed, but that's because the Spanish did it and not because they did it, right? This is Oxford, right? So, mm. um, uh -huh. interesting. And then it says, 
that the Mayan civilization was on the verge of collapse. It wasn't. And then it says, the Spaniards were only, in the most formal sense, the destroyers of Maya civilization. It had already collapsed from within by the time they arrived. As decisively as elsewhere in the Americas, uh... the native culture left behind no living style, no technology of note, no literature, Oops. no political or religious institution of significance. Uh, when was this published? Um, this was published in... Uh, first date, 1976, 1980, 1983, 87, 88, 92, 97, 2002. Because uh, this is a... Let's wow. see, printing seven. It is called, by the way, <clears throat> this book printed by Oxford is called The New History of the World. It is what one would describe as an authoritative publication. Right? If like, I was going to look for a book in Barnes & Noble that was about you know, you'd be an like, omnibus this is of it, world right? history, I'd be like, I'd take it home and be like, I got my book. Let's read this So yeah. that's exactly what I did, Brian. Okay. That's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> let's fucking do this. And so when I uh, got to this sentence, the oh, you could, could imagine my blood boiling. Um, yeah. They eventually, on the following page, they get to uh, the Incas. Uh, which they also give about a page and a half. Um, and then when they get to conquest, they also kind of elide over the Spanish and what they did, because again, it's like, so here they say, uh, the co cornerstone of the first cathedral in the Americas was laid in 1523 by the Spanish. Um, Spanish settlers looked for land as agriculturalists. 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 Not as like con conquerors, even though it was. <clears throat> what is even the definition the Spanish of that conquest? Word? Okay. Yeah. And gold as speculators. Again, not as. They, these were businessmen. They had no competitors. And indeed, with the exception of Brazil, the opening up of Central and South America remains Spanish until the end of the 16th century. For Spaniards in the islands were often Castilian gentry, poor, tough, and ambitious. When they went to the mainland, they were out for booty, as in, like, you know, treasure. Yeah, right. Though they spoke as well of the message of the cross and the greater glory of the crown of Castile, uh, the age of conquistadors had begun, then they keep talking, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I haven't really read through that part. I kind of got through the parts of indigenous America and got really mad at this book, and I haven't picked it up since. Yeah. And so what, what I did do is yes. I picked up every other book since. Because uh -huh. I was like, that's obviously incorrect, right? And so that book is obviously going to be able to fill in all of the blanks for European history, but I knew at that point that it would not be able to fill this in. Yeah. So in my lifetime, Brian, again, because you think I'm smart, I'm just a nerd. <laughs> That's all I'm an autistic, probably. You know? so, <laughs> well, here we are. I mean, here we are making a podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> so I've read books on the Olmec and the Mayans and like, you know, because that's where my family is from ostensibly. But this is where shit starts to get crazy. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Let's go. Yeah. So this is uh, a, a satellite image of North America from Alaska to like 
uh, Newfoundland down south through Florida into Cuba and Espanola through through all of the islands that go through uh, what is that like? I don't know Belize. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> south America's a mystery yes, to I'm, me, man. Yeah, uh... I, I'm eager to get there. Is what I'm saying, right? Um, and then you have Mexico down through Central America, and then like then you get just the very top of South America. This is a map of all of the watersheds in North America. Oh, I'm raising my hand in the classroom. Uh, your, yeah. your laser pointer isn't working, ma'am. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> There's a map of all of the watersheds in North America. And at first, I thought this was just cool. I thought that... So, like, I had found this image right here of just the United States with all of its little oh, watery veins. Wow. And I had saved this image a long time ago. Because I was just fascinated with yeah. the math of it. Uh, but th there's a famous problem in mathematics called the four color problem, which is how do you color in a map using only four colors in such a way that none of them ever touch? This is a very famous puzzle. Wow. It's really hard to do. And that's why most cartographers don't do that. They just go, oh, I'm going to use a shitload of colors. Okay. That's easy. Okay. <laughs> why do I need to make this hard? Oh, fuck that, right? <laughs> it's mathematicians who, who do it because it's like, fun it's a puzzle right but like practically cartographers do what's in front of you they use many colors right yeah they can just they're allowed to so they do yeah there's no rules saying you only have to use four <laughs> i mean if you're in that situation sure or you can just accept that some of the colors are gonna touch right so it's kind of like or you can just get over the fact that like your peas and your mashed potatoes will sometimes butt up against each other that's okay are we gonna do that really crazy like time magazine national geographic map of the world thing where they do like 17 different line hatches and stuff like for yeah. eastern europe where you're like what is yes. even happening there dots like, there's seven different different types Venn, of dots Venn diagram style borders here i don't understand <laughs> Anyway, it's just beautiful, but mm -hmm. you can also see, because of the North America map, that the Mississippi is massive as a watershed. So that's what this one is. This is this pink thing right here. This veiny shit. This wow. is all what. This is what feeds the Mississippi watershed. It, like that's... it's all from the Rocky Mountains. Wow. It just comes down through those rivers through that up there. This green shit. This is all the Great Lakes. And that's what this is right here. Huh. For everyone at home, we're looking at a map. So picture a of map. North of North American watersheds. Yes. You can Google this shit. Go find yeah, it. Yeah, you'll like, see this, one you can of do the this. pictures. <laughs> the joy of life, right? No, I've <laughs> stolen most of these from Wikipedia, honestly. It's just I have to have them all in one spot. Because that's how I am, you know? And, this uh... So I, I, I read a lot and I read this book and it's called A Genetic History of the Americas. And I know I talked about it on the cast. Yes, some point, I also but I have finished it. it. Read, oh, you did finish it. Yeah. So I need to finish it. spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. OK, this is basically the thesis of what they've um, uh, summarized in their book. And so basically what has happened is throughout like all of Western history, mm -hmm. Folks have been trying to figure out how did the American continent get populated? Right. Well, you see this woman works in 
pulling, cultivating, and DNA testing from ancient specimens. Like ancient, ancient specimens, 10, 20,000 years ago, like mammoths and Neanderthals and all kinds of science shit that like wasn't even possible, Brian, when you and I were watching Jurassic Park as children, right? Okay. Like that shit was miraculous back then, right? Well, they're doing that shit now. Like really, like they're being able to pull tiny, tiny little minuscule amounts of DNA. She has this whole um, oh. a chapter in her book where she talks about the process of having to go into these DNA clean rooms and how they have to doff. And wow. like the other thing, right, is also like the recognition that like they're not just testing on like bugs and dinosaurs. They're testing people. This is our literal ancestors. This is grandmas grandpas to the great 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 degree right so she says that like it's it's like if you go in like i'm just like a scientist you're losing something she's like no this is this is our family so like could you imagine like how devastating it is when we're like uh, what if like uh if what like if someone were to tell you that one of your loved ones a uh, final resting place was somehow desecrated and some random person was going to dig them up and test them. Yeah. You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? And yet that is what we're doing because they're people. She has a whole paragraph on wow. how uh, as uh, a whole paragraph, she has a whole chapter on how uh, as climate uh, stressors, whether that was droughts or this, that or the other, or like, you know, the cause of migration, uh, you could see elevated rates of infant mortality. And of course, you saw that because the archaeologists were finding graves of children. So she has whole chapters describing kind of psychologically, wow. essentially, from like from a human perspective. Yeah. Like, what is that like to recognize that you're pulling a child out of the ground and then very respectfully saying, okay, I'm about to like, pull a bunch of teeth out of your head though and we're gonna ground it into this fucking fine paste and that's gonna tell us something about our existence as humans here on this earth right so like you're still getting something but it's like the approach has to be very different and that's like essentially her thesis of that book um and kind of also really acknowledging the ways in which people like oxford university have perpetuated this idea that bones are just bones right but like you know they're not it's, it's like they just get to treat whose bones in which ways right yeah. some fucking dumbass old biddy gets to get buried underneath of some big giant ass church right reliquaries get set up for saints but these fucking people they're just science experiments right so she talks about the equity um, and kind of colonizational aspects of science too which yeah, just fucking got my engine going in all kinds of different ways because it, they were things, of course, that I would never have thought about as someone who's not in those fields. Why would I? Yeah, even um, right on this topic, the, about the twenty thousand year mark on the other side of the planet, over in um, Russia, I was just watching. It was like uh, I'm kind of slowly working through Trauma Zone, the newest Adam Curtis documentary, but part four, I think, contains this part where there's just a quick clip of them unfreezing a person who was frozen in Siberian tundra like 20,000 years ago, and they look as if they've you know, just been pulled out of 
you know, it's crazy. It's totally nuts. And it's a woman's body, but they like go put her through this unfreezing process where they like melt the block of ice. And then there's like this grate that lifts the body, like with skin and everything still intact hair. There's even like the hair is braided even. It's crazy. And it like, they lift it out of the water. And then like 25 men like come in the room and they start like standing over it. And like some of them are wearing clean gear. Some of them aren't. Some of them have masks on. Some of them, it's like, it's very 1990s it was it happened during the fall of the soviet union that's kind of what it was going to show context of but like um a very strange film uh it made my mind so that's what i thought of immediately was like disrespect to like a person just because they're yeah from another time or whatever it's strange it could have been any of their like great grandparent easily well that's even what's mind-blowing right because this is Essentially, what the author then describes is that there were these paths of migration throughout the Americas, but that they were circuitous and that they happened for a variety of reasons. But the DNA is telling us when these family trees split off, um, they find evidence of dog domestication and certain breeds of dog rising in proximity with these different groups which gives more sense to the um so that the and as anyway yeah, yeah that's shit was wild it was getting crazier dog, and crazier interesting now i'm yeah. gonna go back and finish that book now because yeah, yeah we, no it's, it's we started joking about the napping at the very beginning the child mm-hmm. napping um but that's cool to see it really went some interesting like yeah Oh, yeah, well, I'll read it more and then we can talk about it some more. Okay. Oh my god. Okay. So cool. She has this map towards the end where they say basically this is the best that science can do at the moment. And uh we may never actually have these answers of course, but the world is young, right? And hopefully we make even more strides in DNA and genetic testing and things of that sort and we may get a different picture as it goes but she basically kind of lays it all out which is really cool um and then i kept reading Mm -hmm. and so like that book was really cool and that like really helped fill in that like pre 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 ancient history and then there's some there's there's other backup for what she's saying of course And, and it's i say backup which is of course just the lived experience of indigenous peoples who have been here which is also like kind of weird to think about it that way i say because it's like we still i think have this uh western tendency to pretend that all of these people are gone right that it's like some kind of like sword in the stone fantasy that they're not Mm. around anymore of course that's false right there these folks are very much so still here so what we see here in this map is the divergence of the Udo aztecan language group so same thing as far as linguists and archaeologists can piece together. There was an original group right here, this like kind of orangey group, I guess. And people split off. Uh, in one direction went this like this, these orangey groups. And we get the Paiute, the Shoshone, the Hopi, the Comanche, who are all speaking these Udo-Aztecan languages the reason they're called Udo aztecan is because here we have ute from the utah area the southwest okay 
and then the Aztecan, because what these groups did is they followed the coast down. And when they, this is the direction of human entry into the Americas. This is exactly what Jennifer Raff is saying happened. Wow. Except as far as they can tell, right? So this was probably happening over and over and over again. And Jennifer Raff's, like, probably, yeah. I don't know, these people were probably coming over all the time and then doing what people would normally be doing here. So if you follow this, you see this line of Canada and the Great Lakes? It follows the fucking watershed. So basically, they were like moving down like rivers, essentially. Yes. Pro- pro- so like the, continuing to build down. Yeah. These were th- this was the, the the land bridge that existed here, and there were glaciers kind of all over the place, all over the place. So depending on where the glacier was in one moment, people would have to like they could actually go down, and sometimes that path was blocked, so they'd have to go like around. And sometimes, like, it was all unblocked and they could just access either. But regardless of which way they were coming down, if you just follow the watershed, look at this watershed. You can just follow down the coast and you're following that watershed all the way down to Central and South America. Yeah. And every time a group of people gets too big or whatever, you just split off and... And And just go, here, I'll go this way. and... and Over again. And it's all, you know completely new territory there's no other humans so yeah so we see this we see that sometime around uh, again uh this is all asterisk citation needed too because indigenous folks also dispute some of when this happened because mm. again of this concept of what's time exactly Right. What's the difference whether this happened a thousand years ago or five thousand years ago? We've made these kinds of decisions to either split off or come together or whatever. Like, why are you being Western about it? Like, just let us live. Like, you know, anyway, that's what I've been. No. And, and that seems I feel like gross oversimplification. But I'm learning here. You know, no, this is all great. I'm saying. No, this is and, uh, fascinating. Oh. So I just finished this book called The Ancient Peoples of the American Southwest. This is also an archaeologist who basically examines um, what happens once the rise of villages start to happen. So there's pretty good evidence that at this point, up through about 500 A.D., so let's just say around the new millennium, uh, folk villages groups of people as like civiliz- civilization in that sense of social connection okay like tighter living together and settled as opposed to migratory was starting to develop in the americas oh so let's just put it at two million uh, at two thousand years ago let's okay. just put it jesus is walking the earth in allegedly <laughs> the middle east uh-huh. and right when that's happening villages are coming together in the americas from nomadic kind of situations. Now, there were still social groups, uh, but they were not settled social groups, right? It wasn't just people were wandering the earth randomly. Like, we had our crew. It's just we'd go from spot to spot to spot to spot chasing game. It's around 2,000 years ago that we decide, hey, we don't have to move around. We can build a spot, an adobe. We can build a hut. People built different shit. 
but they'd build shit and they'd go, let's settle it. And everyone went, thumbs up, let's do that. You know, so that's when that was happening. Um, and so once that starts to happen, these are the three groups that are kind of, again, recognized by archaeologists of what this actually means are these three groups. And this is basically the lay of the land once the Spanish show up. So all of that cycling that I've just described has been, according to these archaeologists people and according to Native peoples themselves, like this, this whole thing was always happening. So like, according to them, like, and according to these stories, it's like, so... Now imagine this rise of village life. Imagine us back then, Brian, and we're like wandering around. You've got your little crew, your little Mad Max crew, and you're over there. Mm-hmm. I've got my Mad Max little crew. We're over here. And given circumstances, your Mad Max crew and my Mad Max crew might decide to like, hey, why don't we join forces? We've got a big hunt coming up. This is really good. If we join forces, have a village together, this is really great. You have your bloodline. I have my bloodline. Yeah. Like it gets to be a little interesting, and we go thumbs up. Right. But we also start our fighting within each other because, of course, that's going to happen. Because now we're like, wait, that's my elk, or whatever. Um, but they were kind of used to this. Is again kind of the point, right? But same thing. According to these stories, there there were times when there would be a great drought, or something would happen, some kind of a catastrophe, and there was this tradition where. If you were part of your crew, and even if we had been beefing or whatever, you come essentially hat in hand going, yo, hey, I know we've been beefing, but shit's bad out here. Uh-huh. And I know we're usually kind of going through it, but we're asking, can we please actually join up with you guys? Uh-huh. So apparently there was this tradition described through oral histories of the indigenous folks. And partic- I'll find them. Particularly, I think it was the Hopi. They were saying, like, you couldn't really deny it. Oh, it was like a formality, right? That they oh. had to come essentially hat in hand and they would like bring whatever it is. They'd say, look, we brought you the shit. We're really yeah. appreciated if we you would let bygones be bygones. And yeah, there was basically no way to say no. Wow. So. Yeah. And yeah. And so <laughs> folks were. Yeah. Like it was just completely being reorganized. Yeah. Hold on. Oh, my God. I know. Well, no, it was. It's amazing if people are, you know, selecting their own okay. power structures at ad hoc and. Oh, yep. no. let me just. Let me come back. Okay, so that brings mm-hmm. us to this next book I've been reading. Okay, so in the meantime, I've also been looking for all of the relations of the Spanish explorers who were coming into the southwestern area. Okay, so the European explorers land in certain places. You have, like, Mm -hmm. the Norse guys who make it to, like, Greenland and Newfoundland up in, like, the far reaches of Canada. Then, of course, you have that Christopher Columbus dipshit. This one blew my mind. Do you know of explorer John Cabot? I am not aware, no. Okay, well, he... Uh, John Cabot landed, like, over in, like, fucking New England, okay? But he wasn't fucking British! 
he was an Italian named Giovanni Caboto. Okay, so just like Christopher Columbus, John Cabot is not a fucking Englishman. He wow. too was some fucking Italian dude being like, Ugh, I'm flying under. My it. name is John Cabot now. It's like, bitch. <laughs> No bless yous for Giovanni. Oh my God, Giovanni. In 1513, Vasco Nunez de Balboa becomes the first European to see the Pacific Ocean when he crosses the Isthmus of Panama. So this bitch basically makes it to like what is literally the shortest, thinnest part of the continent and goes, "Oh, I got here first. Mine now." So that's exactly what he does. He says, all of this shit on this side is ours now. But huh. that leads to a whole fucking set of problems. It's why the Spain basically control the West Coast up and down Interesting. the Americas. In 1521, this other dipshit shows up, Juan Ponce de Leon. We'll get to him in a moment. You've heard of him because uh, yeah. you're in Florida. Yeah, he's he, they teach us about him in fourth grade or something, or they probably don't anymore. I don't know what they teach you anymore. Do they teach you that he died of an arrow? <laughs> A poisonous arrow or something? Is I don't know. <laughs> no, I, this I brings don't. Us, Was he so murdered? Bring, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Shit. Damn it. So Ponce de Leon, by the way, was on one of Columbus's ships. He was on Columbus's third voyage. And so Ponce de Leon cut his teeth sailing with Columbus also, by the way, which is also wild to me. So like they were just all like, it's like Nepo babies. They're like, oh, well, you already did this. So I guess we'll send you again. I'm the guy. And he was like, fuck ship. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this is the one that's the first guy oh, who's the whoa. first real guy so 1528 this guy named narvaez let me see what's his name this is crazy you're, you're gonna this is gonna i never considered the fact that they would take a motherfucking ship just around the gulf coast to like where texas essentially is on the map and then like just go that way i don't know why i was like why did it <laughs> In my head, in my life, I had never considered the fact that you would just uh, take the ship that far and then leave from it because it's way easier than like walking or taking a horse all that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Well, no wonder that it was easy to get to like the New Mexico or Texas or whatever. Okay. Yeah. This all okay, makes so, so much more sense now. So here's what happened. Shit. Okay. So Narvaez. So oh my God. So I've been reading this fucking book and I love it. So uh, preface, preface, preface. I'm going to skip all that. Okay, so basically, this is a report of the survivors of the ill-fated Narvaez expedition. You okay. see, while the Narvaez, and you'll see them right here, yeah. starts here on this boat. Here they come up. Right. They come up, they kind of explore some of this. So you see there is a Tampa. sea party. Yeah. Uh -huh. So some of them are coming up, right? But some of them go on foot because they're like, kind of like, hey, well, let's see what's up here. And so they go, oh, we found some friendly Indians. They gave us some food. They come back to shore. Right? They fucking do whatever. Let's just keep they going. They ford a few rivers, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They do. A, yeah, they, they like went, you know, they're like, oh, look at this. It's cool, right? They did make a few stops. Okay? And so like this book kind of describes it. But this is what happens right here. You see this right here? 
Mm. You see, this is Galveston Island, and these assholes get shipwrecked here. Oh, yeah, the color of the line changes. Yeah, and so then... <laughs> Where do they go? Hold on. They, they, they shipwreck here, and then they, they start to... I don't. I I lose it here. I think it's they shipwreck. Yeah, and then they they come up, but they start coming up up into the the interior of New Mexico. So Narvaez's expedition was really only supposed to explore the coast. They were supposed to have a really easy job. They were supposed to go and explore all of the Gulf Coast. That's what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to come up from up here, from like Mexico or Hispaniola, Cuba, wherever the fuck they're at. And they were supposed to, okay, this will be easy. And then they shipwrecked in front of Galveston Island, where they are all shipwrecked. They've lost everything. And so begins their adventures in the unknown interior of America. Oh my God. Um, they were supposed to then just go right back. But no, instead they took super long away. They went all the way up, uh, up up here, and then, and then they survived. They survived. They they do this for like I don't know seven years or something, and eventually make it back to like Mexico City. And this is the story of that. Uh, How do you? Is that? I'm just thinking of like the what's happening in those people's brains as they're like doing this. Like, what do they think they're doing? Like, what they're just like taking the world's most insane adventure, or, or like does that idea exist yet? The idea of an adventure. <laughs> like, I don't. What the fuck? Chapter one: The sailing of the Armada. This has turned into a pirate ship reading. Like, we are now, like, in the wonderful world of Disney. <gasps> I love this. Uh, yeah, do you so, put up a music cue. <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> On June 17th, 1527, Governor Pamfilo de Narvaez left the port of San Lucar de Barrameda, authorized and commanded by your majesty to conquer and govern the provinces which should be encountered from the river of palms known as the rio grande to the cape of florida his expedition consisted of five ships with about 600 men and the following officers for they will have to be mentioned cabeza de vaca Treasurer and Mayor, Alonso Enriquez, Comptroller, Alonso de Solis, Quartermaster to Your Majesty and Inspector, Mm. Juan Suarez, a Franciscan Friar and Commissary, and four more Franciscan Friars. We really assembled a real D&D party here. (laughs) We arrived. Oh, that would be great. (laughs) Yes. Oh, fuck. Yes. (gasps) (laughs) <gasps> I'm getting all of that info from here. I'm gonna create the conquistador has to be a tiefling. Oh my god! One day I'm also gonna tell you about how I made an Aztec uh, skin in Minecraft, and I made the skeletons the conquistadors so they would burn whenever they went outside in the sun. I need yes. 
Yes, the the my the... my nerd credentials go deep, Thank and I'm, you. I, love I, this. I I don't I don't talk about my my Minecraft days much. Oh but... well, we can you you can chat about with me as much as you want. Um, Friar. Okay, so in my idea, the class, the Friar class, he controls the other Friars. Yes, as like a network, sort of like a necromancer might control his skeleton minions or something. Yes, I like that. Yeah. It's like that guy <laughs> who has the like. <laughs> The poles set up with the puppets that yeah, dance. Yeah, one one character is playing all six, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one person, yeah. This is great. We arrived at the island of Santo Domingo, and there tarried nearly 45 days, gathering provisions and particularly horses, during which time the local inhabitants, by promises and proposals, seduced more than 140 of our men to desert. Nobody wants to work anymore, Brian. Did you hear that? Of, how many total people were there? 140? 600, oh, so they're Jesus. already down 140. That is a lot so of, Okay. Hold on. That's just right. In our mind. In our mind. That's right. Yeah. Can you just imagine a group of 600 people getting together to like go one place, and they're not an organized militia or a military. They're just like people, basically, right? They're sailors, and they're just yeah. like, yeah, I could do this. They're li they're like, no offense. They're the guys we pick up at the Home Depot, right? Like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, hey, do you need a job? And they're like, yeah. And then they, they're like, nah, this is stupid. You can fuck you and fuck this job. Like, you're not even getting us lunch? Get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, I got... And everyone anyway. else is like, I got nothing better to do, I guess. Like, then go on this... Yeah, fuck it. They're just, <laughs> they don't know. Perhaps yeah. infinitely long journey. Right. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry, please continue. This is excellent. No, so, no, it's, it's exactly <laughs> correct. Okay. From that island, we sailed to Santiago, Santiago de Cuba, where, for some days, the governor recruited men and further furnished himself with arms and horses. It fell out there that a prominent gentleman, Vasco Porcalo of Trinidad, a hundred leagues northwest on the same island, offered the governor some provisions he had stored at home if the governor would go pick them up. The governor forthwith headed with the whole fleet to get them, but on reaching Cabo de Santa Cruz, a port halfway, he decided to send Captain Juan Pantoja, who had commanded the crossbowmen on Narvaez's 1520 expedition to Mexico. Wow. Bring back the stores. Yeah, no, the editor notes in this book are also really great. They, <laughs> they really give a lot of context. By the way, the this was translated and annotated. This is an... Uh, this is the official University of New Mexico Press edition wow. of this of this book. Yeah. Um, it was copyrighted. It says 1961 was the first time it was made. Uh, this edition was printed, and this one was translated and annotated by. Are you ready for this name? Cyclone Covey. I don't so even Cyclone know. Covey is a. I guess a, his name is Cyclone though. But I guess he is some kind of a gentleman and scholar at the University of New Mexico um, who has translated and put all of this. Are they still alive? Can we talk to them? <laughs> Bless you, Kathy. Oh. I can't. Hi. I'm here. Don't worry, I can't hear anything if, if that was a concern or either way. Imagine you're going somewhere. 
with 600 people, um, what song are you singing on, on the road there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real. Okay, I got it. Uh-huh. Because I mean, you got 600 people in one spot and kind of walk in a big long line. That's a great opportunity for like a Game of Thrones style uh, chain of people singing a song type scene. And, and we're going to be singing this song. I know this one. I don't know if you know this one. If you know it, sing it. Let me see. Let me make sure I'm sharing sound. We've just made landfall on the Texas coast and we're just walking north. And this is what we're singing. All day I face the barren ways without the taste of water. Just one thing more than water. Mm-hmm. 
that's beautiful. Dan is his horse. By the way. I'll listen to that again in the, in the playback. Okay, so. So these assholes mm-hmm. spend some time getting all kinds of... They, they spend like four paragraphs describing like, oh, so finally we get all these supplies. Finally they hit the road. So they start this journey June 17th of the year 1527. They've loaded up all their ships and all these things, and then guess what happens? Wait, fifteen twenty-seven. Uh, it was June seventeenth. They start, and then around September seventeenth, they arrive at Santo Domingo. Where they stay until mid October, I would say. So now it's mid October and they're getting ready to leave. Guess what happens? Uh, natural disaster? That's right. The next morning gave signs of bad weather. <laughs> As he describes how ominous. how ominously the sea began to rise the north wind began to blow so violently that we could not have dared come anywhere near land even if the landing had not already been impossible all hands labored severely under a heavy fall of water that entire day and until dark on Sunday but then the rain and tempest had stepped up until there was as much agitation in the town as at sea. All the houses and churches went down. We had to walk seven or eight together, locking arms to keep from being blown away. That's right, Brian. This is the first Western description of a hurricane on American shores. That is unbelievable. And you know what? It sounds very much like the one that I read about Cape Coral's first hurricane that they experienced here where they literally do say that same exact thing about holding hands, like trying to get between buildings as it's like being ripped apart. So that's pretty, wow. Walking in the woods gave us as much fear as the tumbling houses for the trees were falling too and could have killed us. We wandered all night in this raging tempest without finding any place we could linger as long as half an hour in safety. Particularly from midnight on, Sorry. No, you're fine. I'd hit that, babe. (laughs) Particularly from midnight on, we heard a great roaring and the sound of many voices, of little bells, also flutes, tambourines, and other instruments, most of which lasted until morning when the storm ceased. Nothing so terrible as this storm had been seen in these parts before. I drew up an authenticated account of it and sent it back to your majesty. Ed, no. Editor actually writes in here, this is a hurricane. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is all I like that fun. has to be like, that. Okay, that's like specified. In case like the most, in- <laughs> only the most interested readers in the world are going to be reading this. So, this so they haven't even really started, by the way. They are still, uh, 
they're still somewhere kind of like uh where did they say they had just landed they they they're in trinidad and tobago when they experienced this hurricane so wow. they're they're nowhere near starting their journey yet but that's so where he you talks about be. historically he to talk- record <laughs> 60 persons lost in the ships and 20 horses. So they have to kind of start over. They then, as a result, remained there through October, November, December, January, February of 1528. He describes landing in Florida, but like it's not exactly new. People have kind of seen it. It wasn't like at that exact moment, not exactly new. Um, But now he's starting to see shit that is like, the first real penetration into so you see how he's like kind of going up the coast oh can you flip that the wasn't over? new f- I'm oh oh the, god uh, oh, oh sorry 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 so this part where he's kind of coming yeah. up the coast so people i guess had gone up the coast a little bit before then they hadn't landed though and explored inland, which I guess is the big... Uh, and I say they, I mean of the Spanish, right? Mm. Of these new assholes who were coming in. To the indigenous folks, they're just, what are you doing here? Who are these people? And so they're going to start... They're going to be the people who have essentially first contact with indigenous individuals. And so this is the other thing that I read, okay? It is possible that because of these very, very first initial contacts, that smallpox could have been distributed in the continent as early as 1528. Because these people just were carrying it, right? So they go in, they trade with these individuals, and that's why, like, this this idea of, like, poison smallpox, it's not just that people were doing this intentionally. It was happening even before they realized it was happening. Right. That's why they're eventually able to weaponize it. Not be like, but the naive stupidity of them came first. And so there have been tests that show smallpox lasts on like clothing for like weeks and weeks and is still as contagious as ever. So imagine uh, this. Yeah. you're actually trading blankets. And you're actually, because this is also what we know of indigenous cultures, if you're here in the Pueblo area, right? So imagine Pueblo, so this. But all of these folks, right? So down here. Oh, here, let me let me show you this one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. How do I? How do I? <laughs> You're okay. Ah, there it is. Uh, let me see. So down. Here. Oh. Okay. Down by Chihuahua. In around 1300, the year 1300, they can like kind of tag it archeo- archaeologically. There's like 2,000 rooms down in this space down here. Oh, in around the year shit. 1300, before the Spanish have ever arrived. But these people oh. are trading scarlet macaws and turquoise and copper. 
they're essentially the storeroom for all of these materials, except there's, I'll say one problem with this story, essentially. I say problem from the sense of uh, history, because they're the central trading point. The macaws are coming from Mexico. The copper and turquoise is coming from up here. And the cotton is coming from these Hopi villages on the edges of the Mesa. And all of it is coming down here as like a central store point. So Plains Indians are coming. Down this way to Mexico City and getting shit trading. And all of that is then coming back up the Camino Real and trading with these individuals and vice versa. Sometimes these tradings were happening in a more direct way, but as I understand it, this was very difficult land to go around. And it's like like it was easier to go the long way around than to just cross this fucking inhospitable desert land. So that's what people would do. They would walk down the Gulf Coast, trade in Mexico, and they'd get shit from up here. And this was like the main collection house from all of these places up here that's incredible that i mean that implies so much that implies a lot and i mean just like a 2000 room structure seems like it would take an extremely long time to build like oh the, the the book talks oh my god decades this this other book talks about it and talks about um uh, people years as a unit. Oh wow! No, dude, just, yeah, I, I, it's yeah. it's the, the world is a. Cra- I mean, uh, who have I told? The, the world is a crazy. The world is a crazy place. Um, <laughs> okay, cliff dwellings, cooperation in the Chaco Canyon area. Uh, I know that there was there there was an estimate of how much earth had to be moved by one of these things. And it was like, okay. So here's one. Um, they talk about the Phoenix basin. Let me come over here. So here's the Phoenix basin and somewhere Here in the Phoenix Basin at around 1150, they create a series of Isakias. So there is a uh, uh, settlements by these gray hatchy lines that you can kind of barely see here because it's hard to zoom in. Oh, wait, hold on. Okay. So these are the settlements of indigenous peoples as they... Uh, settled along the Salt River in the 1150s. And all of these main settlements were keeping sluice gates open to these irrigation networks, which is how they were raising crops in the Phoenix Basin. So you can go to Phoenix right now, and you can go see these places. Uh, Let me see. It's so hard. I, I don't know why I have such a hard time controlling it. You can go to the Phoenix Basin right now. Look at this. It's what I did. I did it on Google Maps. 
Because why would I travel? Yeah. You can zoom right in. And you can see... where the old lines of these settlements actually are. Some of them are some of them are easier to see than others. This one's nuts. Whoa. Yeah. <coughs> you can just zoom in on Google Maps and see the footprint of these spots and what they're describing. That's so detailed. I haven't looked at Google uh, Maps in a while and seen their definition on the ground. <laughs> That's crazy. No, it's it's scary, actually, <laughs> as I was doing this, because I was like, oh, look, I can find all of these archaeological sites. And then in, in some cases, Google Street View actually lets you walk around the trails, depending on how they're set up. Wow. That'd be cool for, like, yeah, other countries and stuff, too. Neat. So, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of wild. So all of, a bunch of so like they describe where exactly I didn't write them in all of these ones, but this book talks about how much they had to move. So it, in these places where these canals are, let me go back. Is it this one? This one? Hmm. This one? Hmm. So in the book, he's about to describe how much earth they had to move to make these canals. Um, Uh, an excellent example is the Leahy Canal System. So here, this is the Leahy Canal System fed by the Salt River near the modern city of Mesa, Arizona. Uh, so this is Tempe right here, and Mesa is, I think, just a little bit further up now. There's Scottsdale. I don't know exactly because I don't know Arizona. Uh, the main canal branches into three major distribution channels. Uh, two irrigate first along the first floodplain flood terrace of the Salt River, while the third supplies land farther away along the second terrace. And I think they're describing this. First terrace, second terrace. This might be third terrace. I'm not totally sure. Um, the second level of the settlement hierarchy includes several sites approximately a 0.25 square miles in area. Uh, which had a ball court and may have served as mm. secondary administrative centers. Oh, wow. One of the sites, Crimson Pueblo, is only sizable is the only sizable settlement on the terrace. And Howard and one guy Howard notes that it occupies a strategic location adjacent to the three-way canal branch and undoubtedly had actual control over water allocation for the Leahy Canal system. The third and final level of the hierarchy incorporates smaller, purely agricultural settlements characterized by only one or two residential compounds. Uh, da 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 And then he goes, Phoenix Basin achieved a total population of between 30 and 60,000 people. Wow. One of the highest densities of, of people living along the largest system of irrigation canals anywhere in prehistoric North America. Uh, ornate ritual artifacts such as stone pallets, elaborate projectile points, more platform mounds, some of the platform mounds, approaching dimensions, 
of 330 by 165 foot and a volume of 1,235,000 cubic feet of earth to fill in a few cases. Uh, the one archaeologist estimates that the labor costs of mound construction would have been considerable, requiring 36 people to work for a month to provide each 35,300 cubic feet of mound fill. And so they give those kinds of estimates throughout. Uh, it has been, uh, so let me see, rock pond. So here's one where they talk about another uh, irrigation terrace, and it says, it has been calculated that it took 14 person years to form an estimated 42,000 rock piles and 36 person years to build the check dams, check dams and 75 miles of terraces. Experiments show that construction of a rock pile takes about 40 minutes, while the cobble terraces can be formed at the rate of 5 feet 4 inches per hour. So that's like... I mean, that implies a lot of organization, and I, don't, I mean, like, uh, like, in every single direction, like materials labor incredible planning um developed technique uh, that's yeah that's completely fascinating it's wild and, I, it is and imagine yeah. just like the differentiation between the different like masters of this like art form or science or whatever kind of craft you want to call it exactly like there must have been like unique differentiations in every single version of all of those different kind of sluice gates and how the mechanics of all that worked. And those are all obviously lost to us now, but to imagine like, hmm, it's absolutely fascinating. Okay. So you know how I mentioned that place that had all of those macaws and turquoise and copper. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm about to blow your mind about that place a little bit more. Sweet. Okay. So, same thing. It is so. This uh, this particular site um, is down in the southern part of our United States, a little bit further down into Mexico, into the state of Chihuahua. It is right here, and it is called Casas Grandes in Spanish. Me and come over here, and you can zoom whoa. in, and you can whoa, find it. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. And I haven't even zoomed in all the way. This is just like uh, to get all of it to fit. So these are the kivas. Uh, this is some kind of a ritual space. This weird little shape right here is a ball court. And there's another ball court on the other end. I don't know where, though. Um, and then there's all this shit. All these rooms. Okay. Yeah. Pakime, as it is known in its indigenous language, was once the nucleus of probably the most developed and centralized polity in the prehistoric Southwest. Oh, okay. um, the can town. You, uh, can I, uh, I raise my hand? Yeah. What does yeah. uh, polity mean? Um, an organized society of some kind. Like without so, defining in a specific way. Yeah, whether it's democratic or monarchic. Or maybe it's like there's some kind of hierarchy. Um, 
because some of these things may not even be completely known by archaeologists. They only have the evidence that, hey, it seems there's like 30 people living here. Question mark? How they got together? Are they related? Uh, can we extract DNA? Again, those are even questions. There's no guarantee that just because you find 30 graves even that you can actually extract DNA from them. The, the conditions to actually do that are crazy. Right. As anyone who's actually seen a true crime forensic files actually knows, it's actually not that easy, even with our modern DNA, of which we are just, we, we shed it everywhere because we're alive, right? But when you're dead, you don't, you don't create more. That's it. And it starts to go away. It decomposes. That's its whole point, right? So right. anyway, yeah. Um yeah like, so uh, yeah polity just means any kind of we don't know what what grouping but there's a grouping sweet new word i like it um the town reached its zenith between and most of these i've taken either copy pasted from books or from like i didn't write this like i've taken it from somewhere probably a book as i've been reading them hmm. anyway mm -hmm. i just want to say that that like people it's not like my original scholarship it's mm. shit that other people have said, and I'm accepting it as truth because it was published in UNM Press or Oxford or some shit, but fuck those people too, you know? This is the world um, according to Kathy, and I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying. Uh, with over 2,000 Pueblo rooms in discrete room blocks constructed of adobe, the settlement was the largest in the low thousands people. And so here we see the room blocks that they're describing. Uh, the town's water supply system. This is the shit, Brian, that's going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Because yes. this is what Oxford said. We were leaving nothing behind. This is ancient. Prehistoric still, right? We're talking right? <laughs> The town's water supply system is unique in the new world. A canal network carried water from Warm Springs 2.2 miles away to the northwest. The main canal fed into a reservoir and into a tank, which took water into the room blocks. An outflowing sewer and ditch systems removed fluids from the rooms. Artifacts and animal remains are the largest quantity found in any one location, speaking to its importance as a trade center, therefore probably even as a cultural or religious one. 322 scarlet macaws, 881 green military macaws, species unknown macaws. And as you are you ready for this one? They found evidence of coops and like pens for the macaws. They were raising them there. They weren't just, this is not where macaws are raised. This is where the, those are parrots, straight up parrots. Those are raised hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away in Mesoamerica. My where oh. they're actually from. This is incredible. Parrots don't fucking belong up in Chihuahua. They belong down here in Mexico City. But this was essentially a fucking zoo. <clears throat> this is unbelievable. And, like, whose zoo was it? Or were they, like, harvesting feathers for some incredible, you know, creation? Or, like, oh. I think... Are, are you ready for this? Yes, yes. So this is what I think. It's okay. got the turquoise. It's got the shell. It's got all of these copper. You know what I think? Hmm. I think it was the fucking Hobby Lobby. Oh. 
Oh my god, yes. Because <clears throat> you could come from anywhere to there. And it was bargain basement. It was the it was a trade center. I mean, I'm talking shit, but it's <clears throat> gathering all of this shit from Mesoamerica. It's gathering all of this shit from these folks up to the north. It's the clearinghouse. Oh so my... if you're in Mexico, you don't have to go all the way up north. You just have to come here. And look at how easy it is. All you have to do is you don't even have to go up the desert. You have to follow the watershed. The fucking watershed. Once you see, like, I'm just like, why didn't they ever teach me this at school? It's the most obvious fucking thing, Brian. I it's am like connected a grown like a line on a map. adult. Yeah, even on this. And it's taken. It's incredible. Do you see how mad I am? It's because it's like, why did I have to figure it out? Why couldn't someone have just told me? I'm so mad. Anyway. But I'm thinking now about that, uh, the collection organization. Just imagine, like, what kind of, I don't know even the word is governance. It must have been. I mean, if they had a world complicated enough to have all of that, they definitely had some form of, like, idea of, like, who was organizing these shops and stalls. Were they independently, like, controlled? Or, like, was it, like, group kind of situation? Well, we'll never know. We'll never know. The Spanish burnt all of the fucking records. And so here, now to go back to this part, right? Yeah. So you have all of these languages which are coming down, including to the Hopi, right? Now, the folks who are in Pueblos, they have their own language groups which are not pictured on this particular map you can see them they're right here right they're this blank spot that isn't actually blank right because this is only talking about this language group right, right? Okay. we haven't even the Other athabascans language. are like up here yeah and then you have all like the 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 navajo and the apache speak language groups from alaska Right. This is what I mean. Like this, these cycles have been happening and huh. happening and happening for different groups. We just how yeah. the fuck would we know? And it's now that DNA testing is allowing and the language groups are allowing us to make those dot connections. Interesting. See, because the Navajo and the Apache, they don't show up into the Southwest until the 1400s, still before the Spanish. But they're they're kind of new to the Southwest. And and this also does assume one thing, but or at least a question I'll ask you: Do you also agree that it, it assumes that like language really is then the unifier between like groups of people, like rather than anything else at a ba most at its most basic level? I mean, according to this, these language groups are coming all the way up to here, essentially. Like, were these people, like, multilingual Could in between their groups? Like, could they understand each other in between these? Apparently, it's, like, dialects. Oh, oh, oh and dialects. That, and that, that yeah. makes more and sense. So, like, that makes more or sense. Or something, right? Like, so this is why, like, I mean, and I don't know because I don't speak these languages, right? So, yeah. um, but, of course, this is where I'm starting my own journey. Ah. Ooh. Of, like, well, what, e what even is all this shit? Right. How how would I even start? Well, and I, I speak I speak Spanish. I don't speak any Nahual, you know. But look at look at who I would be related to, if I yeah. speak Nahual, because my family's from Mexico. Look look at how false this is. My family's from Mexico, but if my family's from Mexico, then I'm these people as much as I'm anyone else. Yeah. I'm as much a oh, Ute and a Hopi and a Comanche, I guess, because. 
this is our primal ancestor. Uh, we have a, I, I as a Nahual Mexican, have a primal ancestor with the Comanche and a Hopi. Somewhere, once upon a time, we were together and we said, okay, I'm going to go left and you're going to go right and we're going to see what we see and then we're going to come back and see what we found. And except we did, except that that process took hundreds of thousands of years and like we split up and said, okay, you go that way. And they became the Hopi and the Comanche and adapted to those material conditions. And I guess my family came down this way and said, oh, look at all this shit down here. And then said, mm, we're going to have to come back. Yeah. And that's why, like, so, like, I'm also, like, kind of stuck in this, right? Like, my family is from Michoacan, which is down here. My grandmother lived in Tijuana, which is up here. And then I settled in Los Angeles, which is over here. But if I look at this fucking map, they're all the fucking same. Yeah. So when I come over to Santa Fe, no wonder I feel so comfortable. Yeah. I'm fucking Hopi. But I'm not. I'm not. Like, no. I have no claim to no. that identity. I don't know what that means, right? That's, I guess, the concept of colonization. But if you asked me, push came to shove, I'd say, well, I'm probably some kind of a not, like, as far as I can tell, I've only ever been accused of being Mayan, also, by other indigenous, I say accused of, but it's not exactly <laughs> I was, what I mean. I, was, <laughs> I, I like, was waiting for you to follow up, and you did. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, like, accused of, no. you know. <laughs> But other indigenous people will be like, do you know your roots? And I'm like, no, not really. I'm like, I know Mexico, but I know Spain, Mexico. Like, then I'm, a, despite the fact that I don't look Spanish, I definitely look some kind of indigenous Mexican. But without a DNA test, I'll never know. Do you want me to drop your But that's scary for there? other reasons. Do you want me to leave it? Nah, nah. Okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it, I'll figure it out. Okay. I'm I'm actually curious about DNA testing, if not for the idea that like I don't want to be found. I just want to know stuff. Yeah, I know too. I I want to. Uh, oh, I meant. Do you want me to drop your last name from the recording there? Uh, oh, said, did I? You said your last name. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah sure. I'll take it out. Okay. I didn't realize I did. Yeah. Um, two oh nine. Okay, I got you. Oh, thank you, thank you redacted last name mm -hmm. that is definitely of spanish origin of some kind thank you yes. good call um <laughs> i always got the ear out i'm just trying to save myself from having to listen the whole thing all the way back oh good <laughs> good good, good yeah um so that i mean there's so many threads that came up i was just trying not to interrupt you but yeah yeah no no I didn't. sorry like, sorry no i because i i not trying I'm to also, be super nerd, very but... i'm very excited by all this too it's like super interesting to me that to know that like or even to just see this and then think even just a little bit further back in time and follow the chain back up and just really look at all of all of the all of what would you call this exactly human migration or i don't know i don't know what you call like the spread of humanity across the globe from its origin points to filling the landmass i don't know i mean i guess i would call it the population of the earth i don't you know like yeah that would make sense actually you population know i mean and literally yeah because hmm. like that's also like the story of of the of, of the earth is we've it like our population has been growing right like we're in no danger of that 
Clearly, the Earth can sustain us, though. It's just it's all this other shit we got to cut out. There, there's no, there's no lack of food. There's no, like, like I mean, unless we poison it, like, there's no lack of it. Yeah, and we're always inventing uh, new breakthroughs, like uh, liquid. Uh, what was the one in uh, World War? Uh, is the guy who invented mustard gas also invented liquid ammonia, a machine, a laboratory process for creating liquid ammonia, which is now responsible for two-thirds of the world's food supply. It's pretty interesting. Uh, devil of a man, though. I guess that's the story of humankind, except for, like... Except, like, I mean, I it, it, like the more I read this history, the more it really feels like, why don't we just leave this continent alone? Yes. It does seem like it was literally the only reason that, I mean, that the only reason colonization or human, the Spanish, yeah, kind of seemed like yeah. they were just bumbling into something the whole time. The whole oh, yeah. time. Like they were just like, wait, what? Oh, fuck. And then saw something that like, oh, the next time we'll go do this again. And then fucked up again and did something over and over again mm-hmm. it's like uh, why does it always seem like it seems <laughs> like somehow like the least competent idiots somehow of history always are like just I don't know Homer Simpsoning, Simpsoning their way like into the driver's seat it's, it's I don't know historically so it, that's true, though. So, like, um, basically, this story uh, is how, well, we didn't have any food on the ship, so we went ashore and the Indians gave us some corn. And then they leave. Like, like literally every story is so, so like, so, so, the, the, so after they leave Tampa, uh, they, which is a really funny thing to say. So they leave Tampa, uh-huh. and they come up into, I guess, what is called Appalachie Bay. Mm-hmm. And he says, On sighting Appalachian, the governor ordered me with nine cavalry and 50 infantry to invade the village we spotted. That's a lot of people. The inspector and I accordingly marched in to find only women and boys. The men, however, returned while we were walking about and began discharging arrows at us. Uh, They killed the inspector's horse and shortly fled. And they mean they themselves shortly fled. We found a large stand of corn ready to pick and a lot more already dried and stored. Also many deer skins. The women partially cover their nakedness with such garments. We also noted the bowls that they grind corn in. The village consisted of 40 low, small thatch houses set up in sheltered places for protection from the frequent storms. It was surrounded by dense woods and many little lakes into which numerous big trees had fallen to become effective obstructions. He starts describing... uh, the country everywhere there are lakes there are sand bottoms but this province has many cornfields many kinds of deer 
The country is oh. very cold. The wide variety of birds. Uh, so they saw a bunch of shit. And the author or the editor then here, like, so at the end of every pair or at the end of every chapter, he kind of writes a couple of like little sentences. And he asks at the end of this chapter, with so many types of foul and game, why did the soldiers do no hunting? Because they're describing also as they continue how they're hungry. And I wonder if they're, like, superstitious that, like, these things are poison or something. I'm going to say that lines up with some of the other things we've heard, yeah. Uh, with um, uh, plants and stuff, I mean, why wouldn't they assume? If they're going to have that superstition about plants, I assume they have it about all. But you're right, though. That's a very interesting... Huh. It kind of shows oysters, a little bit of... They the... ate a lot of oysters. Oh, they, they were described... cool with that, though. Yeah. <laughs> They've seen those at they home. They described... They've seen those at home, yeah. Those oysters, uh, we traveled till the hour vespers until we reached an inlet of the sea. They're not exactly sure at this moment exactly where they at, but they're they're probably somewhere around here, right? They're, they're probably reaching the Louisiana coast. <laughs> they were the only people oysters in history abounded. who had the reverse seafood thing. They're like, they're right. like land food, yuck. I hate land food. <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> yeah, right. Land food's gross. Deer don't want it. Awful. Give me that good shellfish. Vegetables, gross. Give me that good shellfish. Mm. Oysters abounded to the joy of the hungry men, and we gave thanks to God for having brought us here. Uh, they describe getting malaria, probably a bit of dysentery. It's really funny, man. It's really funny. It's that uh, all surf, no turf diet. It gets to you. Yeah, no, right? Like, Okay, so this one's really funny. So, while we lay there in anchor... Okay, hold on. Is this, is, this is, I think, when they they depart the Bay of Horses. They haven't shipwrecked at Galveston yet. Okay, so, but they haven't, so they haven't shipwrecked at Galveston yet. So you, things are only about to get... Yeah. Things are only... Things are coming up. Cabeza de Vaca. Okay, so... <laughs> they come upon a storm... For six days, while this storm raged, we dared not put out to sea. It's already having been five days since we had last drunk any water. At the time the storm erupted, our extreme thirst forced us to drink salt water. Some um, drank so unrestrainedly that five you, you suddenly it, but... died. These people have been sailors for a very long time, I assume, and somehow someone still was like, hmm, I'm going to try it this time. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah, no, there's another one that I want to find. They ate some raw corn because they didn't know any better. That was really funny. Okay, so then, yeah, so then they, then they, uh, uh, this is when they get finally, so now I've arrived at the moment that they've, the uh, looting bay of horses another gulf hurricane and then this is when they have shipwrecked upon Galveston uh, the Indians bring them some fish and some roots it is November and they are cold because they have all just shipwrecked off of Galveston Island Uh, they're being told that other Christians are nearby. What? Are you ready for this? 
What does this mean? <laughs> Within a few days of the departure, oh, hold on. News of other Christians. That very day, I saw an Indian wearing a trinket, which I knew we had not given him. Oh. Inquiring whence it came, we learned from our host's signs that it had come from men like ourselves who had bivouacked further back. Oh. At this, I sent two Christians with two Indians for guides to contact them. It so happened that the latter were at that moment on their way to see us. What? For the Indians had told them of us oh. as us of them. Oh. My detail met them, therefore, nearby. Oh, God, please. Oh. They turned out to be Captains Andres Dorantes and Alonso del Castillo with their entire crew of 48 men. What? When they came up, they were appalled at our appearance and sad that they had no other clothes than what they wore. They told us that their barge had capsized a league and a half from here on the 5th of this month and that they had escaped without losing a thing. We decided to repair their barge so that those who were strong enough and willing could resume the voyage while others stayed here until their health allowed them to walk. Hold on, this, this story is about to this get wilder. Right, yeah. We set directly to work before we could rest the barge out of the water. But before we could, Tavera, a gentleman of our company, died. And then the unseaworthy barge sank. With most of us naked and the weather discouraging walking or swimming across rivers and coves, also with no food supply or even anything to carry one in, we resigned ourselves to remaining where we were for the winter. We did, however, decide that four of our most robust men should set out for now for Panuco, which we believed was close. Should God our Lord prosper them, they could report our destitute existence on this island. The four were, and he names the four people, all excellent swimmers. They took with them an island uh, an Indian of the island of Iowa, which presumably was the Indian name of Galveston, though another island could have been met. Mm. Chapter 21, why we named Galveston Island Doom Island. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. So they they changed the name of that right. place for yeah. a reason, I guess. We are right here. And this trip, according to this book, has only just started. Do you see all the shit they're going to do? Cue, cue the, the Beach Boys song playing, Sloop John yeah. D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's about to get better. Hold That's on. Crazy. I need to take another hit. Oh, Please. my God. This is great. within a few days of the departure of those four Christians, who, again, supposedly are sending message, SOS, we're stuck on this island, okay? Within a few days of the departure of the four Christians, the weather turned so cold and stormy that the Indians could not pull up roots. Their cane contraptions for catching fish yielded nothing, and the huts being very open, our men began to die. Five Christians quartered on the coast came to the extremity of eating each other. Only the body of the last one, whom nobody was left to eat, was found unconsumed. 
their names were Sierra, Diego Lopez, Corral, Palacios, and Gonzalo Ruiz. Remember their fucking names, people. <laughs> I was just right. So one of them was just named Sierra. Sierra, Diego Lopez, Corral, Palacios, and Gonzalo Ruiz. The Indians were so shocked at this cannibalism that if they had seen it sometime early, earlier, they surely would have killed every one of us. In a very short while, as it was, only 15 of the 80 who had come on the trip had survived. Then, half of the natives died from a disease of the bowels. Doubtless, they were infected with the soldiers' dysentery, and the rest of the Indians blamed us. When they came to kill us, the Indian who kept me interceded. He said, <coughs> if we had so much power of sorcery, we would not have let all but a few of our own perish. The few left did no hurt or wrong. It would be best to leave us alone. God our Lord be praised, they listened and relented. And so we named this place Malado, the Island of Doom. Damn. Chapter 22. The people we came to know there, the Kapoks and Han, are identified later as the gr native tribal groups in the narrative, are tall and well-built. Their only weapons are bows and arrows, which they use with great dexterity. The men bore through one of their nipples, some both, uh, and insert a joint of cane two and a half palms long by two fingers thick. They also bore their lower lip and wear a piece of cane in it, half a finger in diameter. Yeah, so pierce your nipples and you pierce your lower lip. Okay. Their women toil incessantly. Um, they eat fish. These people love their offspring more than any in the world and treat them very mildly. Uh, did there, I just want to say, did there, like, what is their concept at home of, like, their women? <laughs> Are they toiling incessantly at home? They're, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Those lazy Spanish women. Nobody wants to work is, anymore. Yeah. Get in the kitchen and make me some paella. Look at these people. They're, they're all, we don't even know what they're doing. If a son dies, the whole village joins the parents and kindred in weeping. The parents set off the whales each day before dawn, again at noon, and at sunset for one year. The funeral rites occur when the year of mourning is up. Following these rites, the survivors wash off the smoke stain of the ceremony in a symbolic purgation. All the dead are lamented this way except the aged, who merit no regrets. The dead are buried except medicine men are cremated everybody in the village dances and makes merry while the pyre of a medicine man kindles and until his bones become powder a year later when his rites are celebrated the entire village again participating this powder is presented in water for the relatives to drink each man has an acknowledged wife except the medicine men who may have two or three wives apiece the several wives live together in perfect amity when a daughter marries, she must take everything her husband kills in hunting or catching and fishing to the house of her father without daring to eat or to withhold any part of it. And the husband gets provided by female carrier from his father-in-law's house. Neither the bride's father nor mother may enter the son-in-law's house after the marriage, nor he theirs. And this holds for the children of the respective couples. If a man and his in-laws should chance to be walking so they should meet, 
they turn silently aside from each other and go a crossbow shot out of their way, averting their glance to the ground. The woman, however, is free to fraternize with the parents and relatives of her husband. These marriage customs prevail for more than 50 leagues island from the island. At a house where a son or brother may die, no one goes out for food for three months, the neighbors and other relatives providing what is eaten. Because of this huh. custom, which the Indians literally would not break to save their lives, great hunger reigned in most houses while we resided there, it being a time of repeated deaths. Those who sought food worked hard, but they could get little in that severe season. That is why the Indians who kept me left the island by canoe for oyster bays on the main. Three months out of every year, they eat nothing but oysters and drink very bad water. Wood is scarce. Mosquitoes plentiful. The houses are made of mats. Their floors consist of masses of oyster shells. The natives sleep on these shells, in animal skins, those who happen to own such. Many a time I would have, would have to go three days without eating, as would the natives. I thought it impossible that life would be so prolonged in such protracted hunger. Though afterwards I found myself in yet greater want, as shall be seen. The Han Indians, who also had Alonso de Castillo and Tres Dorantes and the others of their barge who remained alive, spoke a different dialect and claimed a different descent from those I lived among. They frequented the opposite shore of the main to eat oysters, staying until the 1st of April and then returning. The distance to the main is two leagues at the widest part of the channel. The island itself, which supports the two tribes commodiously, is half a league wide by five long. Editor's note, whether computing by the 2.6 or the 3.1 mile league, this is a fairly accurate estimate of the actual 1.8 mile average width of Galveston Island and the 5.4 mile maximum distance from the mainland. But the treetop estimate of the length is only about half the island's actual 29.6 mile extent. Not bad, though. They had just been shipwrecked. <laughs> it's, like, really incredible. So the other thing that I read in one of these other books is that a bunch of archaeologists would read what these guys... So, yes, these people are probably exaggerating, let's be real, right? They're also writing a lot of this from memory. So, mm. of course, it's going to be inaccurate, right? But apparently there were also a lot of archaeologists who would read these things and go, these dudes are completely making all of this shit up. And so in some of the books that I've been reading, they will actually quote some of this shit and say, we now know that it was, let's say, these two exact tribes. We now know that, yes, they speak different languages. They coexisted on the island. Like, I haven't read that yet, but I'm just saying, like some archaeologists would straight up dismiss what these assholes are saying right now and i understand why they would want to but some would be like everything they're saying is true of course the answer as you and i know is somewhere in the middle yeah, that's where reality is yeah right yeah, yeah. that's where reality is mm -hmm. so that's how i felt reading this was where is the reality right like where what? do they have motivation to lie about something and where are they just like, holy shit, I'm just trying to understand. Like, no one has ever seen this shit. Yeah, this is... like You know, like, he's encountering people that literally no one else on this globe had ever seen before. 
right? I say ever because that's still in that Western construct. Lots of people had seen these people on this earth before, and but it was all of the people who had lived in glorious isolation from whatever the fuck was happening everywhere else. I need to get a copy of that. Wild. Wild to me. Because really, you're right. That is, it's like, it's like basically a book as if someone like landed on the moon, you know, like. Yeah. What if Neil Armstrong and all of those assholes had seen something crazy? I just had to like write it down to remember it all. And we asked them like four years after it happened. Yeah. After, right? So he's not able to write this shit. So like he he's trying to survive at this moment. He's describing this in like first person to the extent that they were able to keep whatever diaries and records. Is the reality is they couldn't. So he doesn't write this shit until he's back in his house. I don't know where in his house, but he's at one of these stops, doing his best to go. I need to get this all down before I forget it. So even these are not contemporaneous recollections, right? And so we also, I mean, and not to be all like, oh, let's give Cabeza de Vaca some credit, but like, he's also an unreliable narrator because he has literally just survived a shipwreck. So he's going to be an unreliable narrator no matter what at this point. And so that Um, that gives us a lot of context, though, because you can you can like by knowing well, me and all biases, it's in history, but like. It's funny because you can look at like maybe things that they would leave out based on their perspective and you can kind of see like things inside that too. It's uh, because who was this for originally? Again, who was it written for? Like who was supposed to read this the first time it was written? Of the king. So these guys have basically convinced one king or another, just like Christopher Columbus convinced one of these assholes or another Give me permission, essentially. Give me the right to go this way, right? And I'll go do that. And so he wasn't the only one, right? Because they were basically like, nah, I've already got that crew looking up and down Tampa Bay. So if you want to go do something, you go that way. Somewhere else, yeah. Right, right. So, like, I mean, these are all rackets. They're all, they're, they're, I say rackets. It's, it's, It's like, be real. This is fucking organized crime. Oh, totally. on a, like on the like a global scale right so <laughs> i don't want to be all like this is where the italians got their start but kind of right this is really it <laughs> yeah it's this merchant marine shit it's they true. they were controlling these shipways and current ways and who who knew how to navigate this that and the other who had access to a map like that shit was real back then like you and i can take advantage of the fact that google earth can peer into our backyards but i mean one of the things you're going to see is I keep going on this nonsense. I feel like I'm always having such a hard time moving the window in Zoom. No, because I can't see. Don't worry, I'm just writing down some questions. Ah, there we go. Oh, I'm going to answer a phone call. One second. No problemo. We shall pause it. Hello? In a voice resembling President Obama. And with that, dear listeners, we bring the first part of our journey, human population, to a close. We've traveled through time, charting the course of North American population growth, and I hope you found the discussion as stimulating as I did. But as we conclude this section of our journey, 
there's another matter that needs our attention once again. We discussed it at the start of our episode, about our sisters of perpetual self-indulgence and the awards they were unjustly denied. If their story resonated with you and you feel called to voice your concern, I encourage you once more to contact Commissioner of Baseball, Mr. Rob Manfred, at rob.manfred at mlb.com. Express your thoughts. Let him know how his decisions affect not only the individuals in question, but also the wider community. It's about upholding fairness. And your voice, yes, your voice, can make a difference. Let's take a pause here, digest what we've discussed, and prepare for the next part of our journey. Remember, with the power of the Chaos Emeralds in our hands, we can navigate through any issue and emerge on the other side, enlightened and empowered. Stay tuned to Reality Issues. Kathy, Brian, and I will be back shortly with more intriguing discussions. Doing it right, everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Shadows on you break out into the light.
Yeah. 